Welcome to More of That Presents Discographology, the podcast where a Springfield, Missouri band dives deep into a band's catalog, one album at a time. I am Matt. I play guitar. I'm Josh on bass. I'm Logan on guitar. I'm Blake and I play the drums. And we are More of That. When Nirvana entered Sound City Recording Studio in mid-1991 to record their major label debut, they were a scrappy trio with an indie label release and favorable press in England. The big cheeses at Geffen Records hoped that they would sell 250,000 copies of their major label debut, like Sonic Youth's Goo album, also on Geffen. By the time Nevermind unseated Michael Jackson at the top of the Billboard album chart in January 1992, they were selling that many records every week. Nearly two years later, a very different Nirvana traded sunny and radio-friendly Los Angeles for rural Minnesota and booked two weeks at Pachyderm Studios under the name The Simon Ritchie Bluegrass Ensemble. Between these album sessions, Nirvana became one of the biggest bands in the world. For good or for ill, the Lucite production sheen of Nevermind had brought punk and alternative to the masses. Kurt Cobain had married Courtney Love, had a child, and the couple's struggles with heroin addiction were laid bare in the pages of Vanity Fair magazine. Publicly disappointed with the more conventional, slick production of Nevermind and with stardom, Cobain and Nirvana declared they would set a new sonic course with the next record. They chose Steve Albini, with his natural room sound recording process to record and cited the Pixies' Surfer Rosa as an example of why. After completing the recordings in just two weeks, doubts about the album began to emerge. Nirvana had always been engaged in a battle between the raw punk rock sound and a more accessible one. Tales began to emerge in the music press about an an unlistenable and unreleasable follow-up to Nevermind. Degraded copies of copies of cassette tapes were leaked to radio stations. Eventually, two singles were remixed by veteran R.E.M. producer Scott Litt. The songs were raw and primal. Images of birth, sickness, and death were found throughout. Even with the remixed singles, the material was as challenging as it was stark. It is Chris Novoselic's favorite Nirvana record, and one member of the British press called it Kurt's Revenge. Teenage angst has paid off well. Today on Discographology, Nirvana's final studio album, In Utero. You know, this this album's like the closing of the chapter of of the formula we've been using, you know? It's like grunge is, is really kind of boring for us, you know, it's something we can't deny. Make a new record really absolve ourselves from the whole never mind thing and well, first of all, we were going to put out a record that would completely you know ruin our reputation. And we just wanted to make sure that it wasn't as commercial or slick sounding. Produced for the most part by Chicago noise rock king Steve Albini, In Utero sounds nothing like a record made by millionaire rock stars. 
It's about this um, perfume apprentice that's just disgusted basically with all humans and he goes into the rural areas where there's you know woods all over the place and he just tries to stay away from people. I can relate to that. <laughs> I've always been just fascinated with medical texts and charts, and I guess I secretly want to be a doctor or something, I don't know. Or a, <laughs> or a person that works in a cremation factory. I just got off the phone with Gary Gersh. He says he can't release the new Nirvana album, and it's your fault. Would you like to comment? <laughs> Every crumb for himself. What was the question now? There was an effort to shut down that record and make the band do it again. That there's been so much controversy about how bad the record sounds, you know, and, and how um, <clears throat> lo-fi it is. Hey, shut up. Well, <laughs> we have some pretty songs too. God, that's that's really a bummer. Look, mom, your favorite, Nirvana. Well, Serve the Servants is not about, I mean, the first opening lines that say teenage angst has paid off well, now I'm bored and all, but that is certainly about my ideas about grunge rock and, and what I've experienced in the last few years, but the rest of the song isn't about that at all. So come back as fire, to burn all the liars, leave our blanket of ass on I'm just teaching her how to cuss and flip people off. <laughs> I decided to write Rape Me in a way that was just so blunt and obvious that it's like no one could deny it, you know, no one could read into it any other way. Some people have thought that maybe um, it has something to do with my disgust with the media and the way they've treated us and stuff like that, but it's not true. It's, that's not what the song's about at all. They immediately just started grabbing for me, trying to rip my flesh off for souvenirs. Four years ago, I would have said, you know, how dare someone bring a child into this life? You know, it's it's completely a terrible way to go, and you know, the world's going to explode any day and stuff like that. But once you fall in love, it's it's a bit different. that ended up in the stores is the record the band wanted people to hear. It's like the last chapter of, of three chord grunge music for us. You can do whatever the fuck you want and record it however you want and present it however you want. 
It had nothing to do with wanting to alienate people. It had nothing to do with that. We just wanted to make sure that we put out a record exactly how we want it. We wanted to put out a record that we would listen to at home. Welcome back to Discographology, the podcast where your favorite band talks about bands. We take a record and we we really milk it for all it's worth. We're very ape and very nice. <laughs> Guys, you can call me the king of illiterature. <laughs> Does he say illiterature? Yes. Yeah, it's illiterature. Okay. Now, that's an extremely Kurt Cobain thing to say. No. Yeah. So we are discussing in utero today, and going to go through it track by track. I am Josh. Um, who else is here? I'm Blake. I'm Logan. I'm Matt. Um, before we get into talking about each song, I thought it's it's a good idea to always kind of discuss what our relationship is with this album. If this was the first time you listened to it, um, you know how familiar you were with it uh, before. Uh, this go around for the podcast. And I will start us off by saying that I knew this one better than I knew Bleach for sure, or Incesticide, but less so than Nevermind. I think uh, that's the case for probably a lot of people. But this was one where I, I had heard, you know, bits and pieces of it back in the day, uh, especially the singles. But I think I was way more familiar with a lot of these songs from their versions on Unplugged than I was from the versions on here, because they do several of these on the Unplugged um, album as well, and, and I was really you know familiar with that album um, growing up. So a lot of these, I, I kind of knew the acoustic versions first and then came to these a little later. Um, so that was, that was, you know, this go around, there were a lot of songs I'd never really listened to before. I can honestly say that probably half of this album I hadn't really given uh, a really thorough listen wow. to before the last couple of weeks. So that's where that's I am shame. at with it. What about you, Blake? Um, as a teenager, I was pretty into this, you know, about as into this as I was into Nevermind. And I hadn't really brought it back out since my teen years, which is really a shame because I really love the album so much. Um, I went and, Pulled out a uh, enormous uh, CD wallet. Oh, I didn't know what you were just say to there. find the. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> he brought out the wallet, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I brought out. I got the wallet. That's the, the wallet version. from the '90s that holds out. That holds about 500 uh, compact discs. And lo and behold, In Utero was the only Nirvana disc I still had. To my to my heartbreak. Bleach and Nevermind, I think, were stolen out of my Honda Civic when I was a teenager. So I, they are gone to history. Savage. Blows. But uh, the amazing album in utero is still there, so I pulled that out. Um, today, I literally dug through boxes in the garage where I had empty jewel cases because I, <laughs> I wanted to find the in utero insert with lyrics and all the art and all that shit. And I don't have the in utero jewel case anymore which that sucks but at least i had the disc i listened to it on cd i listened to it about every way you could listen to it i think i talked on the on the pregame about 
all the different ways and different mixes that I listened to it. But yeah, I, I, I liked it then, um, and I re-fell in love with it this time. Spoiler so, alert yeah. for your rating later. Well, I, I'm not giving a rating, okay. but what if I said like one, one star? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, you know, I was, I was lukewarm on incesticide and stuff and, uh, but this, this really brought me back in a big way. I awesome. enjoyed living in utero the last week. Matt, what's your uh, relationship with this album? I love this record. Uh, this and Nevermind, you know, I, there was a period in, you know, 1998, 1999 where I had, about 15 or 16 CDs and those were two of them and they and they got you know the most uh uh the the most spins um you know I remember listening to this in the basement and just thinking that it was you know s- such a departure from from anything else that I'd heard and even from nevermind it just sounded so much uh so interesting and 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 so different and you know, I it's been a while since I've sat down and and gone through it end to end, but but it you know as as Blake said, it's really been you know a, a great experience kind of coming back to it because it's it's uh, it's a powerful record and and it's uh, it, it was moving to uh, to to you know be back in it and living with it. Go off, <laughs> Logan. What do you think? Uh, I think the first thing that drew me in was the heart-shaped box music video. Ah, I, yes. I remember that the Watch video that today. grabbed me, and it was just visually cool at the time. Um, just very beautiful but disturbing images. It was very popular at the time. You see a lot of videos that were kind of shot that way in the Can 90s. we talk about it the was video? the fashion of the time. Yeah, it, <laughs> it was just a, yeah, I don't know. A d- <laughs> Look at uh, Metallica's... Uh, until it sleeps video and it's kind of the same kind of vibe but uh i think the lyric of i wish i could eat your cancer when you turn black really got me riled up as a kid and i was like really 11 scared me yeah <laughs> i was like 11 years old when i heard that and and just that really <laughs> kind of pestered me a little bit but other than that i didn't listen to this album i don't think like you guys did um growing up i was it was it wasn't until the mid 20s that I listened to this album. I never the really mid nineteen twenties. No, in my mid my mid twenties. Paid off The Charleston was all the rage. <laughs> it took me a second to understand what the hell you were just doing, the, man. You I said like, uh, <laughs> and scene. Th- this has um, been nineteen twenties. <laughs> by the way, the, the music video for Heart so Shape Box directed by Anton Corbin, who was the uh, yes. photographer for a lot of U two stuff. In See, the everyone loves yeah. Depeche, Depeche Mode as well, uh, did a lot of their stuff. And he directed some Metallica videos as well. I don't think he did Until It Sleeps, though. But yeah, you're uh, right. That video was, like, everywhere. But The, uh, the, the I, book I just read had, had a whole section on on that video. Um, and it's like, it was, like, hand-tinted to, to look like a Technicolor. Uh, uh, it's it's just so so wild what went into it um, that you might not realize just, just looking at it. I love that it has like every every like uh, symbol that is um, provocative. Let's is just push kind of thrown all in. the buttons, right? And it does it does push the buttons. But uh, I recommend checking it out. Kurt was very happy with it. He he said it 
came closest to what he saw in his dreams. And, you know, I, I've always, yeah. you know, really, really loved the colors of the video as well. I, I didn't have MTV, you know, as a, as a kid. So I, I wasn't as familiar with the video as some of you guys might've been, but, um, but yeah, that, that I wish I could eat your cancer line. will will get, we'll get yeah, your hooks, get it, its, its hooks it's, in you. It creeped me out. And, uh, and f- I think from that point out, I don't know. I never really considered myself much of a Nirvana fan. Like I knew all these songs, and I I was into them. I was like, yeah, that's cool. Um, but I think, of course, as you guys know, I kind of started to fall into that Pumpkins camp where I was kind of listening to that kind of stuff at that time. But I think I heard uh, they got Scentless you appro- in their tar pit trap, right? Sorry. And uh, <laughs> but I think I heard Scentless and Printless in like Lost, an episode of Lost or something, and I was like, whoa! And then I. Mm. I listened to it and it I was, was like, lost? I got super pumped about Scentless Apprentice. I'm like, I got to listen to this. So I think I was working at Vintage Stock at the time and I picked up the CD in my mid twenties and uh, I started listening to it. Then I was like, oh man, this record's pretty cool. I agree. Man, uh, do we want to get into the track list? Yeah. Yeah. Before we get into that, I was just going to say, uh, so the album was released September 21st, 1993. And the number one song that day was Mariah Carey's Dream Lover. Of course, also it was. just like song. putting that out there. Kind of, I mean, it's it. uh, you know, I like to put that out there as sort of what the context yes. was. I, this this album maybe less so than some of the others because like when Bleach came out, you know, there was a, a context that Nirvana had not shaped at all. Whereas by the time In Utero came out, uh, they were very much the you know, what they were part of the mainstream part of the culture. And so, I, but that being said, Mariah Carey's dream lover, that's yeah. not exactly. And <laughs> I believe the last one you said was Whitney Houston and Whitney Houston. So, I mean, that's, that was, that was what was, uh, you know, top in the charts. Did, All right, let's get into yeah. the tracks. Uh, and the first track is serve the servants. So Serve the Servants, written in 1992, the only song not demoed prior to the album. And Rolling Stone put this as the 14th greatest Nirvana song. Courtney Love says this is one of her favorites as well. Uh, The song has lots of lyrics that have been dissected and interpreted as being about Kurt's personal life, specifically lots of attention to the lines, teenage angst has paid off well, now I'm bored and old, which many interpret as being Kurt's take on his Nevermind fame, as well as the lyric, I tried hard to have a father, but instead I had a dad, which has some obvious personal resonance for Kurt, but it's also possibly a nod to a replacements lyric more on that maybe here in a minute um also last thing i was gonna say it has its first reference lyrically on the album to witch trials there's a couple of references to that on this album uh with the line in this song if she floats then she is not a witch like we thought and uh one lyric that particularly stuck out to me is there's a lyric that says a down payment on another one at salem's lot which is a stephen king reference salem's lot I didn't catch that. Right. I always thought it was just the Salem witch trials. 
Yeah. No, I mean, it's a I, dual Salem's reference. Lot in particular, you know, in the name of the Stephen King book. I, I, th- I read that I think one. he is making a nod to that. Yeah. Uh, so this song, um, I, I, I'll start off. I say I, I really like this song. I love there's that opening note that's very dissonant. And um, I talked with Matt a little bit about this um, off, off mic. Um, but basically how I, I feel like that was a nod to the people that thought coming into this album that they're going to get this like super abrasive dissonant, uh, noise rock. And so they threw this sort of note right up top that maybe if you were popping it on after nevermind, you're like, Oh no, this is going to be so unlistenable. And then it just immediately goes into this very poppy into a pop song yeah i mean it's so poppy i mean the first chord is that b7 which every time i hear a b7 chord it's just it sounds like like a beatles chord or something it's just so like uh poppy yeah this could be drive my car yeah and so i i just like how they start off with that dissonant note and then it launches into this song that's uh, a fairly uh you know pop melodic kind of song even to the point where I think the drums on the chorus are almost like that doo-wop beat, the two snare hits, you know, the surf rock kind of thing. But yeah, so I, I really like this song. I think it's a great start to this album. Uh, Maybe one of their best, they've always been pretty good with opening tracks, but uh, I mean, this is one of the, the, my favorite sort of opening Nirvana songs. What do you guys think? uh, Even, even before the, the big, you know, open chord, Josh, the, uh, I love the stick clicks and you know yeah. there's there's a little bit of room noise with the stick clicks and uh it just really sets the tone of of you know what kind of a record th- this is going to be you know it's it's roomy it's raw and and uh and it's in your face um the song's great uh it's one of my favorite ones on the record uh you know Josh you, you talked about that B7 chord uh you know I, I it's such such a great uh, and and prototypical uh, Kurt Cobain uh, chord progression, you know, with the sevenths and and then you know, kind of resolving back to the uh, uh, to to the power chords. Um, I really like the solo in this uh, this song. It's it's definitely my favorite solo on the album. It, it it kind of is in the same vein as the, or at least the same spirit as the solo on uh, In Bloom, which uh, yep. I, I remember raving about in uh, the in the Nevermind episode. Um, I noticed, you know, in listening to this, that the the vocal register in the verse is higher than the chorus. Uh, which which I, I I thought was kind of interesting and, and kind of an uncommon thing to do you know that uh, yeah the, usually you do the other way around you know the yeah the you know the the cor- the verse lines are, are so in in your face and then you kind of they kind of hang back with that uh, uh, that that duop uh, chorus but um, I you know I really enjoy this song I'm you know excited to hear what uh, what what you guys have to have a, to say yeah it's uh it's not a typical Nirvana quiet verse loud chorus repeat um it it tends to stay at a uh, at a medium uh level of aggression the whole way through which is which suits the song just fine um and i love that that laid back surf rock style chorus it's actually it's it's not uh it's not one of my favorite songs on the record at all but uh it's still a good song and i I mean that in the best way. It's it's one of the examples of uh, like if you don't know what wh- where to place a song, that's not it's not the best song. Just put it first. Like that mm. way you have nowhere to go but up. Um, 
Do you feel that makes is it, 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 sound is like it a top tier song for you on this album, or is it a mid? So I guess it's kind of it sounds like it says it's kind of a mid tier kind of thing. Maybe middling, but like the album is so good that even middling is really good. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and as far as first lines to uh, yeah. to start an album out on, uh, Teenage Angst has paid off well. Now I'm bored and old at at 26 or whatever. Hilarious. <laughs> Also, um, it, it right? always feels to me like there's the obvious rhyme of now, like teenage angst paid off well. Now I'm bored. You almost, it almost feels like he should say something like hell, like as hell. But now I'm, now bored, I'm bored and old. Hell. Like it doesn't rhyme at all, and uh, uh, that's kind of well, interesting to me. Well, it, it it rhymes with sold, which comes later. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Logan, what's your um, take on or Blake? Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Blake, shut I, well, the. F- I, I, I didn't have that much. I mean, I, I agree with, uh, Matt, I, I, I call this a, it's one of the, the a melodic style of, um, uh, guitar solo that, that Kurt will sometimes do. And it is really cool. This album seems to do away with the, uh, the old nevermind. Let's do the verse melody trick on Mm -hmm. the guitar solo and does things that are more creative instead. I always wondered and you mentioned it, Josh. What exactly does I uh, instead? I had a dad. Mean. <laughs> well, do you want to, Matt? Do you want to address the replacements connection to that? Well, there's there's a line in Androgynous, the the replacement song that uh, I believe it's um, you're not a father, but he sure he sure ain't a dad. Uh, you know, do, doing that that same father and dad uh, dichotomy that 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 Kurt employs here. Uh, I feel I feel like the the idea is that, you know, the and, and this is the context and the song androgynous, the replacement song. And then also in this song, which I feel like is sort of saying that, you know, the person procreated, had a kid, but never really actually did much fathering. You know what I'm saying? Well, let me let let me push back on that, because. Usually, I, I think this is one of these Kurt Cobain uh, lyrical switcheroos, which is just a, a playing on words, because usually it's the word father implies sperm donor, yeah. right? To be a father, all you got to do is supply the sperm. And oh, by the way, this album is all about insemination and pregnancy and all that <laughs> shit, right? Yeah. Fetuses. Um, dad implies a personal relationship, so it's like the reverse of what you would expect someone to say. Okay. Like I, I wish I had a personal relationship, a dad. I wish I had a dad that was just great with me. But instead, I just had the a, a technical biological. Yeah, father, that's a that's what I owner. think he's trying to say. But he, of course, he says I tried hard to have a yeah. father, but instead so he, he says the opposite. He which says he the does opposite yeah. again and again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm just checking. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think he's kind of probably nodding to the replacements, but you're right, probably kind of switching. I never even thought of that, and I, I love that that replacement song of I've I've covered it before. The replacements um, lyric but, here is uh, he might be a father, but he sure ain't a dad. You know, which is kind of a kind of a similar uh, a similar sentiment, but yeah. uh, um, you know, yeah. Kurt, Kurt kind of you know put it through his his own lens. Um, you know, the reference to the the legendary divorce also. You know, Kurt definitely you know had issues with his father and uh you know wasn't speaking to him for for years at a time uh so that you know there, there's definitely some some emotion tied up uh, in, in those lyrics and, and that's what i think makes him you know so powerful uh also his his vocals reminded me of 
uh, kind of reminded me of Sliver, just in kind of the the, the interesting way that he delivers uh, the the they hurt really bad uh, line is you know just such a great little bit. Um, I you know, killed it's, it's, my toe. <laughs> he, he killed his toe. <laughs> um, Logan, what are your thoughts on Serve the Servants? Uh, I dig it. I think everyone has pretty much said everything that I would have said about it. <laughs> but uh, the only other points that I had, and you have to keep in context that, like, I didn't grow up with this album the same way you guys did. So I actually had uh, the debut album of Foo Fighters first way before i ever mm. heard this and to me the first thing that's I interesting is like wow this really has that same kind of vibe of that first foo fighters album there's songs on there yeah, that really yeah. just kind of have mm. this kind of feel and and it just made me wonder like you know wow i'm sure dave got a you know picked up a lot of ideas from when they recorded with albini because uh, i know they employed like a room full of microphones and you know, pretty much did it a way, We've, recorded it a way that the, you know, no one else would let him do. So the other thoughts, um, you know, the, of course, the opening line sticks out. The, I love that line. And then the other line that sticks out that you guys mentioned was, you know, um, instead I had a dad. Um, I really love that line too. And I, I think I read something about where he came out and he said that for the most part, this is a very impersonal album for him that it's not really about his life. But this line is actually something that he kind of put in at the last minute to actually say to directly to his father and directed yeah. it at his father. So I thought that was, you know, that's a little piece of uh, just a little slice of life from Kurt. So yeah. I thought that was cool. And of course, uh, I mentioned the solo. I called it the anti-solo, the Kurt anti-solo. <laughs> yeah. Um I really appreciate that. But uh yeah, no, it's a great song and I think it's a it's a nice, you know, people expecting coming right in with like smells like teen spirit or something. This is just a little bit different of a, you know, it's a subversion tactic of of sorts and I I appreciate that. All right. Uh the next song is Scentless Apprentice. Scentless Apprentice is based around a riff written by Dave Grohl during band practice in 1992. And uh, Kurt actually called this a, quote, cliche tad grunge riff, uh, which yep. he was nodding to the band Tad, who I believe we've mentioned before. Uh, but he said he God's wrote balls. the song around it. <laughs> God's balls. He said he wrote a song around the riff that <laughs> Dave had written regardless to make Dave happy, basically. Um, and actually, it was initially given the working title "Chuck Chuck Fo Fuck" I due wanted, to the I sound to of the riff. Yeah, sorry. It's, <laughs> um, no, no, that's fine. Be, I didn't realize until I read that they called it. They wrote "Chuck Chuck Fo Fuck" on the uh, tape box. 
Yeah. And it's it, it really is chuck chuck bo buck banana nana bo buck. <laughs> but initially the the lyrics uh, came into shape and the lyrics were based around a 1985 historical fantasy book Perfume which Kurt had read and said was one of his favorites. And the book is about an orphan born in France in the 1700s I believe who has no uh, personal scent but has an incredible sense of smell. And so he starts killing virgins in search of the best possible scent to make uh, a perfume out of. And uh, the last thing I was going to say was producer Steve Albini cites this as one of the two songs on the album he sees as, quote, the money shot. And I'm guessing <laughs> what he means by that is, like, they hit the target they were kind of going for or they really achieved, like, what they were trying to get out of the sessions, maybe. Awesome. I mean, um, they blew their wad. And I'll, I'll say what the other song is a little later. Uh, as far as my personal take on this song, uh, I really like the drums. I, I feel like the way they open the song especially is is very cool. And this is where you really get that, you know, Dave's Dave Grohl's drums are really highlighted on this album, I feel like, uh, throughout. And this is one song in particular that's sort of a standout for him. I, I, my note I had on this was I feel like this is a, the vibe of this song is a song that would be on Bleach but played by the band that made Nevermind. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it seems like it could be on Bleach, but played by the musicians and the band they had become by the time they got to Nevermind, if that if that kind of fits. And yeah, that's sort of my feeling. As far as like how I like the song, this is sort of a mid-tier one for me. I don't love it, but it's not one of my least favorites. I, I definitely, if I was listening to this album, I would not skip this one. Um I, I would listen to it, but that's sort of my feelings on uh, Scentless Apprentice. Uh, it, it's funny that you mentioned, Josh, that, that it sounds like a song from Bleach played by the band who made Nirvana. The, uh, th that ascending line reminds me a lot of the high guitar part in Breed, which was kind of a an, an early Nevermind song, you know, which kind of br bridges that gap. Uh, yeah. th this. This one's a, a good one. Um, you know, you mentioned the drums, Josh. You know, they're they're great. Uh, I, I know Steve Steve Albini has said that one of, one of his favorite parts of of making the record was watching Dave Grohl play drums. You know, and 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 that's you know uh, that's what anybody would say because that's you know it, it's remarkable. But um, uh, I, I really like the the vocal fry at the at the very end of the song where he just kind of, you know, he just kind of lets it, uh, let, lets the, the noise ride out as, as the song falls apart. You know, that's a great, great feature. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of mirrors, uh, stay away in nevermind with the, the, the go away, uh, chorus. <laughs> yeah. So he really wants people to get away. Um, <laughs> yeah, this, uh, I know you called it maybe mid-tier, Josh, but for me, this song is God-tier. Um, yeah. It just... God's <laughs> balls-tier. This song is God's <laughs> balls. I, I can barely put it into words. It just smacks... It goes so hard. The drum <laughs> intro is one for the ages. Uh, it's like, this is one of Dave Grohl's masterpiece. Boom, boom, cackum, do-do-do-do, cackum. Yeah. It really is. A, I agree on that. Man, one. oh man. I, I, by the way, I wonder if people listening to this eventually will kind of start to figure out like what our musical take, like <laughs> they will be able to guess before, like this is what I think this person hey, would feel about this song. They'll never pin they down even care shape about a little that. bit. Uh, nah. I know, but I just was thinking about that, like what we each kind of 
like it is, about a uh, you know in a song, but yeah, <laughs> the drummer sure. likes the drums. What? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, like, uh, I, I know in the, in those 2013 mixes that that stick click that you can hear it uh, or the the, the rim oh, click is really loud in the mix and, and and really stood out. I thought that was an interesting change yeah, that they made. Steve, Wait, Steve was like yelling at the mix. He was like, "Turn the clicks up." Turn that's well, the fucking he, money shot. Turn the clicks up. Here, that's that is the <laughs> maximum shot right there. Albini's always crass. Um, Matt, what I heard between the two mixes, there's it. It didn't sound like it sounded like Kurt was hitting the guitar strings and making like a some sort of reverberation. Um, on, on the beat. Every yeah, other beat okay. or so. I, I, I thought it might but have it been like, like a snare click or or, or, or a uh, um, a bass rim click rather, but but yeah, it, uh, it it's got a lot of reverb on it. Yeah, it sounded like it was either going through a spring or his his uh, his echo flange or whatever the fuck. But I noticed on the 2013 mix, um, Albini turned up all the noises and room sounds, probably out of spite. But uh, <laughs> it's it's. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but that th- that is one of the main things that I noticed. I, I noticed I that just, on on serve the servants too. That the the voice at the at the beginning is is really high as well. Yeah, yeah, but lots of little you know <laughs> coughs and throat. Yeah, he's like, I want to be able to hear Chris fart. Turn the <laughs> turn the fucking you do. room noise. You damn well do. I ain't farting I on no say. snare drum. Um, <laughs> Logan, what are your thoughts on Scentless Apprentice? Oh, I'm with Blake. This is top tier Nirvana territory for me. This song's tough as yes. nails. The drums, yes, the riff, King. it's all so good. And I, my favorite line maybe of the entire album and maybe one of my favorite lines ever, you can't fire me because I quit. <laughs> That, that was also Dave yeah. Dave Grohl's favorite line from this album. Oh, it was? Classic. Yep, well, Dave Grohl great. in an yes. interview said that that was no, his favorite line. But, and then, okay, we're going to have to do a drop-in, but the scream he lets out at 102... <laughs> just... Over that oh. Dave Grohl snare roll, I don't know what it is about that few seconds, but that encompasses all of Nirvana to me for some reason. Like when I, I just think of that part and I'm like, yep, that's Nirvana right there. He just lets out this relentless scream over the, I don't know why I'm so addicted to it, but I love it. And I it, I think when I first heard that it was on like some TV, like Lost or something, I seriously, and I was like, what? <laughs> Why was it on really? Lost? I, I, was it? Oh, by the way, this? I actually think I know the exact episode of Lost you're talking about. I think Jack it's is out of control the, and taking Jack pills. Jack is driving. Yeah, <laughs> driving he's out of control. He's, he's out of control. It's a flash forward sideways. It's a flash forward. Yep. But uh, I, I didn't that make it that far episode. in the show. No, but uh, it. And what I also like about this song is it's in the territory of uh, negative negative creep. It's that same kind of vibe that I just really dig off of from Bleach. And I think, I mean, this is my favorite song on the album for sure. Has, oh, uh, revealing it early. Has yep. anyone okay. ever read? That's okay uh, to do. Per, has anyone ever read Perfume? My wife has. Okay. I think I saw the movie adaptation. Is there a new do you want me one? to ask her like about it? Recent? <laughs> sure. I, I, I actually, I had. That was actually one of the books that years the, ago. Uh, the school I teach at was a senior's read. Um, and uh, I, I had a copy of it for a little while. But 
Well, I was I was a little disappointed. Like I don't know because I thought all that shit that he wrote was just like that's Kurt saying you can't fire me because I quit. That's what I envisioned. And I was just like, yeah, stick it to him. But now that I know that it's about perfume, I'm just like, oh well, I don't know anything about. I mean, that. to be fair, Kurt, <laughs> Kurt also liked. Kurt also liked killing women to capture their scent. Oh my! How God. horrible does that it, sound? That sounded Jesus. like a. <laughs> that, I that think is... he interjected a little bit of personal commentary with that line. <laughs> I don't. We're gonna get sued. He didn't. <laughs> Courtney's That's breathing true. down he your did. back, Josh. Scratch that. I know. Courtney yeah. shows up at your doorstep. Uh, litigious Courtney love. All right. Um, any other thoughts on Scentless Apprentice? I checked with the wife on the book. What was it called? Perfume. Perfume. I was going to have her say a few words about it, but oh, she yeah. said, she said it's been 10 or 12 years. She doesn't remember. It's about a murder or something. Her words. Okay. So there Thanks, you go. Jessica. Jessica of Are You There Pod, uh, our sister pod. <laughs> can I call it our sister podcast? You can. You can. In okay. fact, it's on the same podcast network. Sister, and, sister. Uh, check it out, folks. Logan, did you have any other thoughts on Scentless Apprentice before we move on? No, just wanted to remind everyone okay. it is top tier Nirvana quality. It is the content <laughs> I am here for, and all thumbs up, all systems go. Next up whips ass. is the song you may have heard of Heart Shaped Box. I wish I could eat your cancer. Heart Shaped Box was apparently written early in 1992, but forgotten by Kurt until they were moving into a new house later that year. Courtney reportedly heard him playing the riff and asked if she could have it for whole, to which he replied, fuck you. (laughs) Charles Cross says this is the song where you can actually hear Courtney's influence on Kurt's songwriting. And Kurt claims this song was about kids with cancer, but most people believe it's probably about Courtney. In some capacity, Courtney Love famously a few years ago tweeted at, I believe, Lana Del Rey that the song was about her vagina. And uh, this was one of the songs of the two or three, as we will discuss on this album, that was actually remixed by Scott Litt of R.E.M. fame from Albini's original mix, which Kurt and Chris were not happy with. So, um, nor, nor was the label. What's that? The label wasn't happy with it first. And then, according to, depending on who you talk to, then, then Kurt and Chris became um, insecure about it after doubtful. the label Very voiced their, their concerns. Yeah. yeah. So as far as uh, feelings on this song, um, I this is one of my, my favorites. I, I started thinking about, of all the kind of Nirvana hits that I've heard a million kajillion times in my life, this is one that I actually feel like is probably at the top for me, I'd, if I really thought about it. Like, I would much rather listen to this one than Smells Like Teen Spirit or Come As You Are. Uh, or even all apologies, kind of tipping my hand a little later. But uh, I I like this song a whole lot. Um, I feel like the big you know thing I, I love about this is the vocals. Um, I feel like the vocal melody really shows Kurt's talent at writing vocal melodies because this riff sort of at face value doesn't really lend itself to a clear vocal melody. You know, you listen to Bleach or even on Nevermind a little bit, there's songs where the vocal melody is essentially just following the riff. Mm -hmm. You know, he kind of just 
sings what the riff is doing. This one, you know, he doesn't do that at all. He comes up with this totally different kind of pretty and catchy melody that sort of rides the riff and goes mm. together with it really well, which I, I yeah. like a lot. And there's a couple of lines I feel like that flow really well. The one that I always, always sticks out to me is, of course, forever in debt to your priceless advice. Just oh, the yeah. flowing of that. It's almost like poetry, <laughs> like not to get too pretentious, but like it, it just the way it flows off the tongue forever in debt to your priceless advice. It sort of has a nice rhythm to it. It's really very satisfying. Um, and, and kind of lyrically, and this happens a few times on this album, I feel like this album has some lyrics that are like the, the, the sort of transgressive lyrics of the bleach era, but taken to a little bit of a classier level. So like this song, he says, broken hymen of your highness. <laughs> like that's a <laughs> lyric I could see being on bleach, but in a much cruder fashion, like he still, wants to, he still wants to throw those sort of transgressive, shocking lyrics out there, yeah. but it's just done differently somehow. I don't, I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's that's my sort of feelings on it. I would put this one uh, as a top tier one, especially given how many times I've heard it, that mm, I still yeah. think it's it sounds kind lot. of fresh. Yeah. Um, Matt, how do you feel about Heart Shaped Box? I think it's uh, very good. You know, you, uh, you made a lot of good points that that uh, that verse melody is really good. Um, you know, I, it kind of goes up and then back down uh, uh, the the scale a little bit in in a very musical way. Um, I really like how it kind of lives in the land between major and minor. Um, you know, sometimes he's singing the major of the chord. Sometimes he's singing the, the minor of the chord. You know, they, they resolve to, uh, to the major, the climb right back, uh, part just, you know, really works out and, and makes it really interesting. Um, the, uh, the kind of call and response of the, of the, uh, the chorus uh, uh, the, the dun dun ba bum bum ba, you know, really propels it and and makes it a lot of fun to listen to. You know, you, you just can't help but uh, but kind of nod your head. Um, you know, I, I know when when they when they recorded it, uh, even in in kind of previous sessions, they they did a session with uh, um, in Brazil and and worked on this and and uh, and knew even then that that it was going to be kind of an important song and a, and a big song uh, for them. But uh, yeah, I, uh, the bass works really well as uh, in it as well. He he's playing a staccato uh, bass. Yeah, it's run. so wild, Matt. It's almost like a synth the way he just taps it. Hmm. Uh, if if you want to get you know further into the theory uh, elements of it, I, I commend uh, there. There's a uh, why is this song great. Uh, is the name of the the YouTube series uh, on this song? So I, I, w- I would commend folks to go uh, go check that out. Uh, if uh, th- they do a lot of the the soloed uh, stems, you know, so you can hear just that that bass part or just the uh, just the drums. Oh. Um, it, it's it's a great uh, great thing to go kind of listen to to the the individual components. I want to hear the stems off this whole record. Blake, what are your thoughts on Heart Shape Box? It's a good song. Listening to the original record, it kind of hits you as something that uh, is totally different sounding from what's come before, right? And it's really a standout from from the record, not just in a hit single sense, but uh, obviously it's a different mix than the original version, at least. But uh, yeah, so much so much more polish w- was added to this one because they were, you know, grooming it as a single. It's got vocal it's got like delicate vocal harmonies 
that uh, are not present on the other songs as much. Um, I think at least some of so those different. vocals were added in that remixing yes. process with Scott Litt. They, they weren't present yeah. at I all. Wanna, in the- I want to mention, by the way, the irony of Scott Litt real quickly, because Steve Albini reportedly... Um, when he heard, you know, when he was talking about Nirvana before he'd ever recorded them, said that they were just REM with a fuzz box. That was like yep. his sort of derisive comment about them. And then the fact that then when they went to remix Steve Albini's mixes, they chose Scott Litt, who is REM's producer. I find that kind of yep. interesting. And, and Albini said he, he was never a fan of Nirvana, but through the recording process, re- really got to like them just because of how how good they were at doing what they do. Hmm. They really ingratiated themselves to this, to, uh, this difficult man. When, when two difficult personalities meet, uh, <laughs> isn't it, isn't it amazing what, what they'll come up with? Um, the, uh, I, I really, yeah, speaking of the, the bass, uh, bass is really cool in the, in the verse, but also that, that chorus, uh, bend that insane bend that Chris does. Bum, bum, you know what I'm, yeah, that part. Yes. Um, I also noticed that uh, the solo is, I believe, based around that bass part. He he's kind of mimicking what what Chris had come up with. Hmm. You're right. Uh, it goes and that's that's what the bass is during the the choruses. Yeah. Um, and speak speaking of that solo, uh, the different versions all have wildly different effects um and maybe you guitar people can e- explain what's going on with the guitar effects a little better but um in the uh the gillian garb book i read the 33 and a third on in utero um she says novacell extraneously objected to a shimmering effect used on the guitar solo that he found really grating now this was the the thing that they didn't end up going with but what they put on it originally <laughs> He said, why do you want to take such a beautiful song and throw this hideous abortion in the middle of it? Oh, gosh. So, so Chris had, uh, Chris had s- severe opinions about this guitar effect. I guess they, they ended up changing it. I, w- I wish I could hear what, what this abortion was. Oh, uh, the, oh, I there, hear it the 1993, uh, the 1993 Albini mix, you can hear it, uh, I, I think, or at least it's, it's significantly different, um, you know, it it always sounded to me like a really hard, choppy tremolo almost. Yeah. That 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 you know really kind of almost square wave clipped it. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, on and off, and and made it almost kind of sound uh, you know like digital noise. But um, yeah. I, I think I think Chris was right to to really kind of you know draw a line because it uh it, it really takes takes you out of the the mood of the song overall. Yeah. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in that solo, um, and yeah, th- that's kind of what I thought it was, uh, uh, some sort of tremolo. Definitely sounds like a, a Kurt decision and not an Albini decision. <laughs> um, not that Albini would would tell Kurt what effects to use. Like, that's just not, not what he does. But yeah, you can listen to like five different versions of that solo, depending on which version of the, of the uh, album you hear. What do you think, Logan? Well, I can hang with this song. I think it... At first, I would think it's a song that I wouldn't really like because it's been played so much that I don't know. I've never really minded it when I when I do hear it. It's it's a pretty dark song, and as we've talked about the "I wish I could eat your cancer black," that kind of 
mildly disturbing me as a kid. Yeah. That stuck with me. So it's always been kind Kids of like Kids with a, cancer doesn't cheer you up, Logan? Well, I don't know. Whenever I would listen to the song, I'd feel like kind of dirty. I'd feel kind of like, ugh, I don't know yeah. if I'm supposed to be listening to this. Or yeah. like, this sounds really like sad or like in a way that I hadn't really heard before. Like, this is like a sickness. Like, and I think that's what they, this album kind of revolves around is like a, being a patient yeah. in a, a hospital sickness. and sickness. Yeah. And, sickness. Um, and we talked about it, the video being disturbing, but uh, I I love that solo bass part that you guys are talking about. It, it's pretty amazing. I mean, there's just really nice dynamics in there. Also, conversely, I have this conflicted <laughs> viewpoint of it where it's like it has the seeds of butt rock. Like, I feel like this is almost like a <laughs> utero's version of come as you are. It, and it's, it's funny also, you say that, Matt. It is. It's, I'm also, Logan, it's also a right. matching track listing. It's in the same point in the Number album. three. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say I that too, to Logan. I come as you are quite a bit. And I have more I, to say yeah. about, about that later. Okay. I was actually going to say Matt and I have had that discussion before that Nirvana like unintentionally laid the seeds of butt rock there, in a lot There's of ways. a straight yes. line from Nirvana, the puddle of mud. <laughs> yes. Oh. Uh, have you seen the puddle of mud's acoustic yes. about yes. a girl yes. performance? Oh, it's, man. Yes. Yikes. That's I, a big yikes from me. <laughs> so I, I, um, I feel bad any for the other just in a way, but it's just uh, Yeah. He's not I, right. Yeah. I saw. I just saw it for the first time. I it have didn't, to say it this. didn't help that he put that out, and then you know you can maybe make the defense that it's hard to cover a Nirvana song, but then Post Malone put out that whole set where he just fucking right. dunk, yeah. he just dunked like on the guy, just like <laughs> so, swoosh, but swoosh. It's like swoosh. it's like uh, it's kind of hard to make that argument anymore. That that puddle of mud cover is when is when you you decide to do a karaoke song that you've never sung before Ooh, that's... And, and you don't realize that it's out of your vocal register oh, no. but you have you have to embarrass yourself all the way through it oh, in front God. of the public I did that's that exactly what happened with there. tears for fears uh, shout one time with my sister <laughs> It was rough. One of you guys might have been there. I, I Two was, of you guys. I think I was there. there. I I, I was gonna say about it. I was I gonna wish. say the I worst wish. choice I ever made at karaoke was the one time with Matt was there. I chose "When the Music's Over" by the Doors, <laughs> which I forgot is like seven minutes and has a, a spoken word section. <laughs> oh my! It's like God. oh, I forgot about <laughs> three minute nope. musical breaks. I've had too many drinks. Um, and boy, did I underestimate this. <laughs> So, uh, Shout is really low register. Never mind. Any other thoughts on Heart Shaped Box before we move on? Ah, uh, okay. Next up is Waif Me. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it's Rape uh, Me. Kmart. Uh, 
in Kmart and Walmart. So Rate Rate Me me. is uh, one of the earlier songs on the album in terms of when it was written. It was written in 1991, sometime between Nevermind's recording and release. In 1993, Kurt told Spin Magazine, quote, It's like she's saying, rape me. Go ahead, rape me, beat me. You'll never kill me. I'll survive this, and I'm going to fucking rape you one of these days, and you won't even know it. End quote. Um, the song has a history of kind of causing trouble for the band. So there was the instance at the 1992 MTV Video Music Awards where they wanted to play this song um, as they had just sort of worked it up. Uh, but MTV told them they would fire a friend of theirs at the network if they did. So instead, they what played Lithium. Move. Wow! Although you what? can hear them Hold start, up, to, you can hear them. They told him that they're going to fire story? a friend of theirs that worked at the place? Well, yeah. it kind of yep. went back and forth. At first, they, they told them not to for various reasons, and then eventually it became they would stop playing all music from Geffen, and then it oh. became they were going to fire this friend of theirs at the network. Wow. And so they agreed to play wow. Lithium. Um, although they do, if you watch that performance on YouTube, they play the first few yeah. bars of Rate Me uh, to start off so, with, uh, just to give them a heart there. attack, I guess. I'll have to watch that. Also... <laughs> This uh, this song famously, uh, the Walmart and Kmart versions was relabeled as "Waif Me" uh, for because of the whatever the that fuck is "Waif." Like what? What? Are, <laughs> what does that even like? Can someone explain that to me? What does that even? I mean? don't know. Waif? But I, I actually don't want to share my opinions on this one yet. I want someone else to go first. I want to go last on this one. So so oh, maybe gosh. Blake, why don't, oh, or Matt, weird. why don't you start it off? I have some thoughts on it. So Matt, you want to go first? Your thoughts on on rate me? Um, you know, it's we were talking off mic before about how it's you know it's got similar chord progressions. Uh, this one never never really stuck with me as much as you know some of the other ones. It's kind of a um, uh, a, a downer between Heart Shape Box and the next song. The uh, the the favorite inside source line I think is a really good lyric, and uh, you know there's a lot of illusion. Even though it was written before the the issues with the spotlight and the Vanity Fair article in 1992, and and all of the all of the press and and uh, things that that kind of Kurt went through and and Courtney and uh, in the year prior to the recording, uh, you know even if it was written before, you can still kind of feel that that he was kind of exercising some of those emotions maybe in uh in, in the recording of this song but um but yeah it's it, it it's good it's a good you know kind of uh nirvana by numbers uh uh song um you know so i i would skip it every other time maybe but uh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh the way that the uh, and and albini mentions this specifically the, the way that the uh that the vocals kind of overtake the mix at the very end i think is probably my favorite yeah. part yeah that's yeah Definitely. He's just screeching the title again and again and again. Yeah. Just overtakes everything. It's scary. And that that was very very by by design and, and a very Albini thing to do a, a dry vocal that crescendos up and up and up and and eats the whole mix. Like like what are you doing? It sounds like he's singing directly into the board. So um, he, he, they just have this, a bunch of microphones up. Is that that's all they're doing? Not for the vocals necessarily. I can read a quote about the general way that the songs were recorded instrumentally before they moved on to vocals. Uh, let me find it real quick. While you're doing that, I do want to mention this song has bridge tambourine. First appearance oh, of does bridge it? tambo. I noticed it on Francis too. I didn't know. Um, I love the bridge on, on this song. While Blake's pulling that quote up, uh, Logan, what are your thoughts on Waif Me? 
Oh, man. Okay. Well, you know, first off, uh, content-wise, right off the bat, if you're just kind of like stepping into <laughs> this, it's just kind of like, oh, well, I don't know if I should be listening to this. It's like, uh, it makes yeah. me feel yeah. kind of bad. But when you listen to it, I start to get a sense that no one should have to go through rape, obviously. Um, but I Strong don't know the stance con- by Logan. <laughs> right. Hot take. Sorry. <laughs> But take. I, no. I start to feel like Kurt kind of is, maybe he's going at an angle of maybe the record company is, you know, breathing down his back or yeah. like he feels like he's being exploited for his music or taken for granted or not letting, you know, they're not letting him do what he wants to do. So I appreciate that aspect of it. And that's how I kind of, but, you know, all of that aside, context, you know, content aside, I like the song. I I actually do. I I think it's a I think it should definitely be there. It should be included. But kind of like Matt said, every other time I might kind of tend to skip, but I will stand by that I do like the song and think it should be included. The uh the little guitar slide that he does, I I think it's a at the end of the second verse the is 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 worth the listen every every time though if um, yeah, I don't have a time code for it, but yeah. One thing I don't care for is the opening chord strum. Like I feel like it, you know, I like it more arpeggiated because I do feel like it is kind of that paint by numbers Nirvana yeah. sounds like Teen Spirit. Dun dun dun, chicka chicka chicka. You know, I don't know. It just seemed kind of derivative. I, I, I was gonna say this is this is one of a few on the album that just kind of bores me. <laughs> Like it was uh, a decent bridge, kind of a cool bridge. I don't uh, think I like this best part. Like this song very much. Bridge is the best part. It just yeah, I don't really have a ton to say other than it. It just seems boring to me. I don't know. But do you think it should be included? Like, do you think it should be there? Well, I don't want to get to my my opinions on what to skip yet. (laughs) But I this is one that I'm like. Well, I'm kind of. I think I think they've done this kind of thing better elsewhere i'll say that it's called it's called smells like teen spirit um, i liked it better when it was called smells like well i, like I don't know the message it it could have a lot of uh, lyrically different meanings that, and messages but, yeah. and so many people could take it different ways so it's hard to judge that's true i just meant musically i guess i feel like they've done that better oh yeah musically it's like okay yeah we know you can do all that stuff <laughs> uh, um, so any uh, other th- thoughts before we move on blake did you have that i have I think they they could have uh, done away with this track and put on Moist Vagina. I really like Moist Vagina. Not really. Not really. I, haven't, I, I don't <laughs> really believe it. dove into the B-sides. I, I, I haven't either ready. other than a couple. Um, I was I, like, I'm just strictly I'm not, listening to the album. I'm not wild about it. That was a joke, but I, I, I think... <laughs> Marigold is... It sounds like a Foo Fighters song. I was yeah. going to mention Marigold a Dave we song, were talking about right? Foo Fighters earlier. It's a it is quite yeah. literally a, a Foo Fighters song, not a Nirvana song. Um, I'm, I'm interested. I thought it was funny that that uh, this song was too hot for, for MTV, but it, it did make it to SNL. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's they true. They did it on SNL. Well, uh, SNL wanted un- to be uncensored, you know, cutting uh, edge, late night. You know. With, with well, yeah, Charles Barkley. Yeah, Char- yeah, I was going to Char- say, if you want to laugh, <laughs> think of Charles Barkley in the wings listening to this song. Think of, oh, think of Charles Barkley. I... I 
I wish Charles Barkley would have said, and their hit single, Rape Me. I, I looked really I looked really hard for uh for, for him saying uh you know, th- throwing to them. I could only find some pr- some promo I, uh clips to, to drop in the in I, the collage. Oh, I funny. found one clip of, of him throwing to them. I'll try to drop it. Yeah. Once again, Nirvana. Yeah. Going back to the general way they recorded, um, much much has been made about the way this was album was mostly done live. To me, it sounds like you're in the room at their practice, and it's a really good practice. And this, the book I read doesn't go into enough detail, I don't think. But what she did say, or what Albini said was, they recorded the basic take as a band, all recorded live, meaning in the same room. Usually, that's not quite the way it's done. And on almost every song, Kurt would add one, sometimes two additional little guitar parts. I would say that was basically it. There are some uh, exceptions to that. We'll get to them true. a little later. Yeah. And some things were, you know, monkeyed with later. Yeah. Um, anyway, the, the, <laughs> the track at hand, uh, uh, wait, wait for me. I, I heard uh, this book says they also jokingly threw out the alternative title, Sexually Assault Me for Kmart and Walmart. Um, <laughs> That's pretty good. I mean, terrible. It's, but it's terrible, obviously terrible, the, the but... <laughs> it is terrible. The it's the cousin song to uh, Teen Spirit, and but I I do have a, a I I can drop in the the similarity between the two opening riffs. But I also have an even hotter take that I'll get to later when we get to Dumb. Ooh. Um, not to give it away. I'm well, excited. Before we get to Dumb, uh, if there's nothing else about Waif yeah, Me to we, talk about. We can move uh, on. You know, they, they did play it on the, the SNL Charles Barkley episode. And Charles Barkley, when he was playing <laughs> basketball, he might have played the Seattle Supersonics. And he might have lost. And that might have made him want revenge on Seattle. And that gets us to Francis Farmer will have will her <laughs> revenge on Seattle. Yes, I'm relieving, now that you're leaving, soon as you can think. Yes, I'm relaxing, hear that you're resting, never again That was so, a long way I know, around it was a the long block walk to there. get to. So Francis Farmer will have a revenge on Seattle is written in 1992, and... Uh, Kurt once again turned to a book for he was reading at the time for lyrics. He had read a biography of early 20th century Seattle actress Frances Farmer, the book called Shadowland. And Farmer had been involuntarily committed to various institutions in her life, and Kurt sort of saw a kindred spirit between her and his wife, Courtney Love. And so along those lines, there's actually a second reference in this song to witch trials after Serve the Servants, Mm -hmm. specifically the practice of dunking a witch to see if they float. There's the line, hope you're still with us to see if they float or drown. Um, I actually saw a similarity in the lyric in this song, I miss the comfort in being sad with the Smashing Pumpkins lyric, I'm in love with my sadness from Zero. 
uh, those lyrics huh. to me have always been very similar sure. kind of sentiment, you know, so it's going of, around um, at the time of, of sort of taking comfort or a really liking being sad for whatever reason. So uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting similarity there. I'm, I, I, I miss I the think, comfort of being know, sad. I'm in love with my sadness. I think people go that ahead. Depression have, is a warm blanket. Uh, yeah. As far as opinion, I this is one of my favorites on the album. Um, I, I just really like it. Uh, I feel like it's one that, even though it wasn't a hit single, should be probably more well-known by people, um, especially non-Nirvana fans. I really like the uh, the guitar part that cu- only happens that one time in the first verse. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yes, when it I know kind of exactly drops out, but then there's about, a guitar Josh. part that comes in, does the dun 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 sort of climbs. It yep. sounds like something like Kurt did on one take and then was like, ah, eh, never mind. But Steve was like, I'm going to leave that in, you know. There's a um, lot of that on here. There is bridge tambourine again, bridge tambo. Yeah, it's loud. It's, it, it's prominent for once. <laughs> uh, the only real criticism I have of this song is that I feel like it goes on a little longer than it needs to maybe. Like it kind of comes back to that verse after kind of uh, the, the bridge and everything. And I was like, oh, we've got another verse and chorus of this. Okay. But I, I, that being said, I, I, I love this song. It's one of my favorites. Um, this song, this is probably my favorite song on, on the record. Uh, it's a lot of fun to play. I don't know if anybody has ever, you know, uh, sat down and, and, you know, worked mm. this one out. But um, it's more majors and minors, you know, kind of inter- interplaying together, uh, which I think is, is a, really, uh, a really nice technique and, and kind of, you know, serves the song well. Um, you know, we already talked about "Miss the Comfort" and being sad is a great lyric. Uh, I really like the uh, the the upswing on "She Come Back" is fire to burn all the liars. Yep. That that's uh, you know that, that's a great little little section. Um, yeah, cool. but um, leave a blanket of ash on the ground. Yep. Blanket of ash on the ground, exactly. Ooh, uh, brutal. The, the chorus. They only yes. do the chorus three times, which I think is kind of an interesting. You know, you're saying it runs a little long, and I, and and I can I can see that that point, but uh, you know that, that that was an interesting choice I thought they made to only do that that uh, I'm sorry, not the chorus, the bridge, uh, only do that that bridge part um, uh, three times through, where otherwise you might do four, and um, I, I like the way that it kind of resolves back to the uh the the verse part with the cymbal bells clicking it back in it's uh it's a great tune yeah it's it's one of the one of the top tier on this album i think um it's 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 a little different than the other maybe more aggressive songs on the album but it 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 still rocks hard um it there's there's a lot going on here uh songwriting wise that's really cool i really like um how it starts with a vi- that very quiet strumming, uh, kind of sounds like on the left side, and only in the right speaker you get that uh, a little slide on the guitar. I, I know what you're talking about. That that's that's so, yeah. a great detail. The, yeah, the so it's two little guitar parts that work together, but in the in the it's using the stereo field in a way that Albini is is really good at. Yeah, that that bridge it has a bridge like like no other on the album. It it has a groove to it which is dissimilar from from other songs uh, on here maybe. Um it kind of it kind of grooves. Uh the tambourine helps. Um oh, uh something I noticed um that really 
it's so it's so in utero and so you know it, it's it sums up why this was deemed <laughs> un, not radio friendly enough unreleasable etc uh at about the 42nd mark kurt flat out plays the wrong chord and has to slide up to the right chord and they went ahead and just kept it nice <laughs> Nice. Did anybody else notice that? I did not. No, I did not. Listen, I, well, we should we should put it in. Okay, it's you're gonna have to. I'll make seconds. a note yeah, to it. We'll, when is we'll it? We'll throw that in. Yeah, forty seconds. Are you talking in, about the guitar pretty... part I was talking about the in the verse the boom dun 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 dun? Maybe, but it sounds like a mistake to me. It doesn't it, sound right. Per- you're right. I okay. Think we maybe it's on purpose. Maybe it's on purpose. Yeah, because I wasn't totally sure what you meant. Okay. It sounds to me like he hit the wrong chord and had to slide up to it, but I could be wrong. With the feedback squelch and all that, I think so. there's so much noise going on. Anyway, it's hard sorry. to say. Time's ticking. But it's good. I Time's like it ticking. all. I don't even care that there's mistakes. <laughs> it's um, good. I just like the song, man. Yeah. Logan, what do you think about Frances Farmer having her revenge? Okay, I'm gonna say first off. I like this song, but I feel like this is in utero's version of Lithium. It's at the same track point listing, like I said on a... Same tempo. Yep, on a heart-shaped box. So I, I consider this kind of another trilogy of sorts, but it's the same you know, track <laughs> listing. So it's matching track numbers, but here's the thing. I think... I miss the comfort in being sad is such a very you know resonating lyric to me. I, I love that. The bridge, mm-hmm. it rocks. But here's the thing, like, keep in context, I didn't grow up with this, but I had Bush albums before I had this one, and I'm like, <laughs> wow, there are some Bush parts that are really inspired by, like, parts of this song, I feel like. Um, so that was kind of interesting. I'm like, wow, yeah, that's some, you know, <laughs> I call them the European Nirvana Bush, you know. So uh, <laughs> the British Nirvana. But uh, no, I, I, I dig the song, but I do feel like it's kind of like in utero's lithium. Same. Uh, that's a really interesting vibe. take, Logan. Uh, well, because they kind of do the same thing where they're they're going major thirds and minor yep. thirds, um, you know, and, and kind of mi- mixing those up. And and there's a there's a quiet palm muted guitar part that that's uh, and it's th- that's yeah, very it's so true. quiet loud. It's the epitome of quiet loud, and, and so is lithium. Okay, so you guys may not have uh, liked my last transition with Charles Barkley and all that, having his revenge. No. You might have thought it was pretty dumb. That's this it. was that, worse. That's this the transition. Was worse. This was worse. <laughs> I don't get it. I'm not like that. Back in town. The sun is gone. I had a light. The day is done. I'm having fun. I think I'm done. Dumb was a, a very early song for the band. I think maybe one of the earliest. It was written in 1990, oh. and it had actually been performed at the Peel Sessions uh, and been broadcast on the BBC and everything, but they didn't put it on Incesticide with some of the other Peel Sessions stuff. In a 1993 interview with Melody Maker, Kurt said the song was, quote, just about people who are easily amused, people not who not only aren't capable of 
progressing their intelligence, but are totally happy watching 10 hours of television and really enjoy it. I've met a lot of dumb people. They have a shitty job. They may be totally lonely. They don't have a girlfriend. They don't have much of a social life. And yet, for some reason, they're happy. End quote. Uh, Uh, Kurt's daughter, Frances Bean, says that she cries when she hears this song because she feels it's got biographical elements. And I also want to note, apparently this is the only Nirvana song that directly references doing drugs. You may know what the drug is that's directly referenced. Hmm? Uh, serotonin, baby. <laughs> no, what, what is it? It is sniffing glue. Um, she eats glue. glue. How are you? Style. Yep. It is the only Nirvana song that explicitly discusses drug use. Hey, ho, let's go. Other songs, it's does, implicit, maybe, but. Does that really count? I don't know. Sniffing. <laughs> So, uh, dumb, uh, I, I guess I'll kick it off by saying that I, I like this better than rape me, but only marginally. <laughs> I, this one also kind of bores me, <laughs> um, in the same way rape me does where I feel like they've done this kind of thing better elsewhere. Uh, although I do like the bridge on this song. I feel like the bridge is pretty good. Um, I think kind of, uh, in that vein, Every time I start to think of this song in my head, it just goes into On a Plane, because I feel like the vocal (laughs) melody for On a Plane and Dumb are very similar, and so one just kind of goes into the other in my head, and I prefer On a Plane, truthfully. That's interesting. I don't know. That's that's my thoughts on on Dumb. I never thought of that until now, but yeah, that's true. It just, like, in my head, I'll start singing Dumb, and then immediately go into, start this off without any words. (laughs) We shall have a duel, Josh. We shall have a duel. Okay, so, uh, yeah, somebody else want to jump in? What do they think about Dumb? Uh, I I like this song. Um, It it, uh, was never one that I was, you know, gung-ho for necessarily. Uh, You know, in listening back to it uh, for for the show, um, I think it's probably my favorite use of cello in a Nirvana song. Um, Yeah. I, I think the cello works really, really well. I think the drums sound really good. Uh, you know, just kind of it's a real crisp and clean part. Um, I, I like that he kind of is alternating going to the toms on four. Yep. Um, the bass line is, is, is a really, uh, you know, it really shows off, uh, you know, Chris be, being a, a really good bass player. I think it kind of moves the, uh, moves the verses where they, they might otherwise kind of stagnate just on, uh, on the verse chords. And once again, they're, they're doing that major minor thing. Um, you know, the first, you know, think I just think I'm just happy, you know, kind of as a, has a, a minor chord feel. And then the second time, you know, I think I'm just happy, uh, uh, you know, he hits that major third, and and it really kind of brightens the uh, uh, brightens it up a little bit. It, it's it, it's a well written song, um, you know, but but it's uh, you know not not one that I I'm clamoring to hear. Um, I think it, I think it's the first one from this album that shows up on Unplugged. Mm. Is it? That's, well, that mm. yeah, that'll. I think yep. there were only about like four, three or four from this album that were on Unplugged. Yeah. But it, it lends itself to Unplugged, whereas most of the songs in this album don't. I, I guess I will say that I, I think I like it better than Polly. I think it's it, it's uh, more substantial. Mm. It's got more elements. Um, I, I think I, I agree think with it that. Seeds where where Polly, um, you know, while still a good song and and uh, you know, kind of you know, serious subject matter and great lyrics, uh, music musically, this is this is a uh, a fully leavened loaf. Um. Dumb is uh, it's an incredibly Nirvana song. Um, 
I, I, I like it all right. And I, I like that there's this quiet song right in the middle of, uh, of this really harsh album. Um, and it's kind of, kind of pretty. So when I, when I listened to this album in my youth, uh, I, I always thought rape me of course was the one that, that, that lifted the, the chord progression from smells like teen spirit. But this, uh, just recently, for the first time, I've realized that Dumb is actually the same chord progression. Rate me similar. This is the same, uh, but it's uh, it's down uh, two, uh, two steps, I think. Oh. Um, and at this point, I will drop in a little audio manipulation that I did um, just to show how, how similar, in fact, they are. I'm not like that. Matt mentioned the uh, Chris's bass part, which is 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 what kind of walking up and down, and it, that real I think that really saves it from becoming uh, identical to uh, Teen Spirit's because he could have very easily just done that, but instead he does something much more interesting, and it I, I think because of that it uh, it hid itself from from being a smells like Teen Spirit clone. From me for all those years. Um, I agree, but I like the cello more on this than I do on uh, something in the way. It, it again has that quality of of being barely out of tune. It, it, that's it must just be something with that instrument. Maybe hard to that it's hard to probably it must be. Um, the cello is done by someone named Kara Shaley, one of the only non-Nirvana musicians on this record, or maybe the only. I believe it was Steve uh, Albini's wife or girlfriend at the time. Really? Yes. Okay. Because I, I was I, don't, I didn't know who that was, so thank you for that that tidbit. Um, interestingly enough, on Albini's 2013 mix, um, most of his changes were minor, but uh, on Dumb, the cello was removed from the choruses uh, entirely up, in, up until the the bridge it comes back in and it comes back in in the very end but it's it's a, it's a different feel on the chorus without the cello and i don't hate it um it it lets the acoustic guitar shine through a bit more and it's uh it's a nice feel i don't know but it's a nice little song you know yeah all right, Logan. I think we stole everything. But what's le- is there anything left on the g- give table? Us the, uh, what your I like this song. <laughs> this song is good, and it makes sounds, and I enjoy it. Um, it remind me of Polly, or a sped up <laughs> yes. something in the way. Uh, it sounds okay. perfect for unplugged. Uh, that it, they're definitely related in some kind of way. And I remember who is this character we we're talking uh, I to? I just now? don't know much about anything because I'm dumb. And uh, is this? <laughs> I I remember this is seeing the uh, r- lyrics of this song on T-shirts when I was in school. Oh yeah, and those that was a thing, wasn't those it? Those acoustic type songs. I I think of all those acoustic type songs, I like this one probably the best. Um, it's also listed as 
track six, just like Polly, and I feel like this could be on purpose, mm. maybe. But it I don't end, know. It ends one. And this ends, ends my one trilogy side of the record, of, just like uh, Polly. You know, <laughs> these songs that kind of are like placeholders for Nevermind tracks. Like, well, we need a we need a Polly track here. So something like that, because I think that was a really good point in the album to introduce Polly. So we could probably do that here too, and and then you know, dumb and I don't know. It just seemed kind of. I just noticed those formula. similarities. Just kind of a little bit of a formula. I don't think it it holds up for yeah. the entire album. I think they make some left turns and surprise you a little bit. It's the Nirvana formula, right there. Yeah, but I do no. I do. I do like this song, but. And I do like the cello, you know, that it, that's hard to pass up. I think this is probably one of their best uh, of the acoustic type songs. Well, I'll tell you guys, a lot of these songs on this album, there's not much ape. There's not much <laughs> ape at all. But this ape next deficient. song, this next not ape song enough, not ape enough. is very ape. Ooh, it sounds like some <laughs> kind of popsicle flavor. Very Ape, I couldn't find any information on when it was written, <laughs> possibly 1993, uh, originally titled Perky New Wave Number. Right. And this was huh. one of the songs new where wave. the drum, drums... <laughs> yeah, they throw that term they around. They do. New Wave, wave You like, don't even don't, know what that means. I don't even feel like they're New Wave, though. This is, this is this one is that was actually wave. recorded with the drums in a separate room. The drums were in the kitchen of the Pachyderm Studios. <laughs> they were in, surrounded by 30 microphones. <laughs> Whereas most of the others were recorded in together in one room. Um, Lyrically seems to be kind of about masculinity. I'm guessing a a favorite of Kurt. And uh, one thing Mm -hmm. I did see was people pointed out the similarities between Neil Young's Hey, Hey, My, My, which has the lyric out, out of the blue into the black with the line in this song, out of the sky into the dirt. Um, yeah. Logan, start us off. Your thoughts yes. on King Very Ape. I don't want to deviate. I was just, well, Very Ape. Lead it def- off. All right. Well, this is definitely my kind of song. Go go Ape. Uh, it starts off, and I thought it was going to be like The Prodigy. <laughs> it sounded like those, uh, those uh, opening uh, notes like feel fun- like it's like The Prodigy or something. No, I'm like, Ugh. It was sampled go- by The Prodigy really? in Voodoo People. Was it? Yep. That's crazy. Well, thank you for clearing that up for me. But no, Isn't I think it's... Yeah. We do what the... Okay. I don't know. I'm going to try to do it, but... <laughs> Voodoo people. You do people. Come play my game. I'll test you. It's catchy fun. Reminds me a little of Stain. Um, it's heavy, okay. rocking, and it's almost kind of surfy at times. And I don't know. I just think it's a cool track. I'm glad that they included it. It's kind of fresh sounding because it's not one you know i've listened to a whole lot and i think it belongs yeah i, on the I album. agree with you it, this was 
this was also one I hadn't listened to very much at all. Um, I, and I agree also the guitar part sounds very unique to me. It sounds nothing like any other Nirvana song. <laughs> like there's not another Nirvana song that has a similar guitar part to this one. Um, especially that high guitar part in the very background that goes, you know, what I'm talking yeah. about that kind of comes in the, that, super that part is, uh, I, I love that part and it, it is, uh, very unique. Um, it, it's almost like a Dr. Dre synth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like up. It's 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 way up there. Like it, yeah. Like the. I I also really like the hard stop at the end. The way it just sort of does. Men that, of the that. dirt. Um, what do you think about it, uh, Matt? Uh, when I was younger, that this was uh probably one that I would skip. I I've I've grown to appreciate it more now. Um, you know, we we talked about that great riff. Uh, I really like the the chorus of this. How it. It's it's three phrases. It just kind of ascends, but doesn't really resolve to anything. Um, you know, it's it's definitely got a great uh, a great groove. Uh, you know, it, it it takes to sampling uh, well. Um, Josh, you mentioned the hard stop. I like how the hard stop transitions into the the next song. Um, you know, which we'll we'll talk about here in a second. But um, and it's also it's under two minutes. It's in and out really qu- really fast. So. You know, it, it's it's definitely uh, you know a, a bop. It, it's it's a fun, uh, uh, it, <laughs> it, it's a dude, fun it quick song. Folks, 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 this is a very ape Stan account. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to uh, mention, by the way, sorry, Blake. There, if if uh, anybody's interested, you can find on YouTube. There's a guy that takes Prodigy songs and breaks down every part of them and rebuilds them. And he's done voodoo people. And you can see the, the very ape sample. Sorry, Blake, am, go back. Very ape stand account. Check that out. Yes. It's cool. Maybe I didn't give it a, enough attention when I was listening to this as a teenager, but since uh, living within utero the last week, I can't get enough of this goddamn song. Yeah. <laughs> it fucking, it whips my ass up and down the block. I love very ape. Um, I, I do. It's like, it's, you know, three, three parts, two and a half parts, but it just, I don't know. It just smacks. And I, I, I love the, 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 na 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 and then the, the chorus progression and the, the, the repetition, the drums just kick my ass. It's hard to even, it's so simple. <laughs> so it's hard to articulate why I dig it so much, but it just, it, it straight up rocks. Um, it, it is a. I, I also read in, in the little booklet I I read uh, that it, the the masculine connection. I didn't I didn't quite get it. Uh, Gillian Gar compared it to Mister Mustache. Uh, maybe it's part of the Mister Mustache trilogy, but uh, v- very ape could perhaps be some sort of uh, euphemism for very masculine, something like that. Other than that, I'm not totally sure what the the lyrics are about, but I I like humming them. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> I just imagine to, you humming them, and I don't know. It's funny. I like it. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not really humming them. I'm just kind of rocking out in my car to it. To to save us a little time later, I th- I think I'm gonna say right now, this is don't the song. do it. Don't do it. Save it. I actually have it. Save you want me it. To say- I can't. Logan says things. Why can't I say? What did I say? I don't he's want anyone re- to sleep on this song. He's gonna reveal. God damn it! We Why have can't... a structure. 
Oh my. Okay, well, well, I can cut it. That's fine. But <laughs> our favorite song isn't one of the things, so it's okay. I'm not saying favorite yet. He's saying don't I'm, sleep. I'm going. It. I'm going ape. I'm so excited about very ape. Okay. Well, that just... I want to reveal my thoughts about it, but I'll save my. I'll save. I have thoughts. Well, you know what I'm excited about. I, just I have, have a banana about... and chill out. <laughs> He's an ape man. I've been excited I'm an about ape, ape man. I'm my an transitions ape man. throughout this this podcast. I feel like I've gotten really good at transitions, and I think that uh-huh. Charles Barkley one was pretty good. And I'm going to uh-huh. continue to use it. And in fact, I think I'm going to continue to milk it. Mm, good. Because that's the next I one. I did. Milk it. Now, I did kind of can do we, a milk it we, joke at the very top of the podcast. I, okay. I caught that, Blake. So, uh, Milk It is another one possibly written in 1993. Uh, I couldn't find information on that. Uh, I did find some information that said this is supposedly what Kurt uh, said the direction of this album was supposed to go. Very experimental and loud. And that he also felt that future Nirvana songs would sound more like this one than they would Rate Me or Penny Royalty. Um, And the origin point influence of this song is some matter of debate. Uh, Dave Grohl says the song is influenced by Chicago noise rock Albini recorded legends, the Jesus lizard. Whereas most people see it as a tribute to the Melvin song. It shoved. And if you look up Melvin's it shoved, you can see a similarity between those two. Um, This song is the other money shot song, according to Steve Albini, uh, where he said they really achieved what they Wanted to, and actually, this is a song that Dave has mentioned that maybe the Foo Fighters would do live uh, with PJ Harvey singing it. Actually, um, at one point, mm. so uh, Milk It. Um, I, I the main thing I noticed with this is we're back to the Bleach era lyrics. <laughs> we got some choice <laughs> Bleach incesticide era lyrics with things like, "quote Her milk is my shit." My shit is her milk. Um, and I Poop was wondering, rock. what is test meat? What is Dolph? We steak? are the test, test meat. meat. He's testing the music on us like, oh, can the audience handle this? Can they, we're the test meat. We're the test subjects. Um, <laughs> the, the, this one did grow on me a little bit. I, I didn't initially like it as much, but it grew on me. And I feel like I could see this one being an amazing song to see in concert. Because it's got those yeah. dynamics, almost like Weezer, Surf Wax America, where you've got these places where people can just kind of lay low and then it builds up and then you can just f- kind of go nuts. You know, I could just see it being an amazing song to see live because of those dynamics. Um, but what do you guys think? Yep. What do you think, Matt? Uh, this is, you know, this is definitely the money shot. I, I think more so than uh, than Scentless Apprentice, um, there are so many just interesting little details that that really kind of you know take this song from from good to great you know you talked about the quiet loud and, it, and it's got that in in spades um i really like the, the he does a cymbal catch at one point um yes you know when they're when they're kind of going but you know going quiet loud uh the little chuckle on the t- on test meet uh just um I, i'm this was done in in one or possibly two takes, uh, I, I remember reading. Um, 
so it, oh, and and I did want to mention I've I've only been able to confirm uh, friendship status for uh, Steve Albini and uh, and and the uh, Kara Shaley uh, played the. Uh, okay. The, the, I, I thought you were talking about yourself for a second. <laughs> Friend, friendship status you achieved. Friendship status with Steve Albini. It's like interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got I got enough uh, b- big black points, but um, <laughs> but no, the, the, there is there is so much uh, to like about this song. The the groove, um, you know, he kind of alternates between the. Uh, the hi hat and and the bell on the ride um, in, in the in the quiet parts, uh, you know, kind of the the ambling but purposeful guitar lines. Uh, it, it's just it's just great. Uh, th- the last thing I'll say is is um, it's another one that's really fun to play, especially the uh, that ba na 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 and he switches from doing power chords to just those single note single note runs. Uh, it, it's it's situated well in the record too, kind of right in, right in the heart of it. It's it's a great track. Agree. Very ape and milk it are kind of a one two song punch of 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 that that hard that aggressive shit that I crave. Um, I think maybe <laughs> I would have I maybe I overlooked it a bit uh, like very ape uh, earlier, but this time I was just like, you know, it didn't it didn't have me in that that opening quiet avant-garde weird uh verse part with the the a melodic chords uh but when that <laughs> folks when that distortion hit uh folks it, speaking as, of money shot the, when it hit folks yeah speaking of money as the kids are saying it just hits differently <laughs> and you were like yes give me that test meat give me that, that doll stick i will be, I will be your test meat. My shit is your milk. Whatever you want. This is just, it's rocking me, folks. Wow. Um, I'm, and I, uh, I meant to mention this during Heart Shaped Box. This is another codependent relationship song to me. Um, mm. As with Heart Shaped Box, as with Drain You. Mm. That, that's how I see these songs. Although ostensibly written about different people, because Drain You was definitely about. Toby Vale. Sure. I mean, and these Courtney Love wasn't in his life, Courtney? but you know, yeah. codependency is what it is, regardless of the person. It's a it's a theme that keeps yeah. occurring throughout these songs. But even even if I didn't know what the hell the actually, I it's really hard to tell what most of the lyrics are. Yeah. <laughs> um. I I love that. Uh, yeah. I definitely had to look up doll steak test meat. because uh, it just sounds like he's going. Ah! But it it sounds great. Don't get me wrong. Um, and that that little chuckle could almost could almost almost be mistaken for like he's about to burst at the seams. You know, are you talking about yeah. three fourteen? I believe so. Yeah, he that he little chuckle where it to, says like yeah. it sounds like he's like, about to start to laugh. He's like, <laughs> yeah. It, it's either it's either about to laugh or about to burst at the fucking seams or both. Yeah, like he um, couldn't breathe. I, I love that. While, while yeah, while he's about to shred his vocal cords, um, Dave is simultaneously hitting the snare and tom as loud as anyone has ever hit a drum skin. You know, I wonder. <laughs> I, I'm sure there's a Nirvana super fan out there that knows this, but the 
when some of these songs were recorded chronologically in the the sessions at Pachyderm, because there was a, a moment, as you guys know, who, who have read that 33 and a third book where Courtney Love actually showed up to the sessions and apparently yep. it was not a good time. Um, <laughs> she showed up and apparently got into fights with Kurt Shit. and was like kind I of didn't, yeah. berated him a few times and criticized got into his it with music. the other members of the band. Yeah, and it just wasn't great. And I kind of wonder if any, if there was good, some of these folks. songs were recorded after that moment. <laughs> like, what was recorded after that and what was recorded before that? And could you tell a difference maybe in Kurt? Because I just, thinking about the sort of unleashing rage, I wonder if there was any moment where he's like... Uh, I think the second after she walked out, they they just he's like, busted out milk, milk it. it. <laughs> and they, yeah. he was just like, I- I'm ready now. I am prepared. Yeah. Only took one or two takes. Yeah, um, <laughs> and I mean, a, a lot of this stuff was done so quickly, and and I don't think any of the songs took took that many takes. Um, pa- um, partially just how how good they were at the songs, and partially just the way Albini works. But but yeah, Logan, what are your thoughts on Milkit? Well, to me, this sounds like the attack of the uh, same character that we saw in Incesticide, <laughs> the crazy possessed back, bird, folks, from the likes of oh you know God. just. The sewer, or I don't know where they come out of, like, you know, alleyways. Yeah, behind the, the, the dumpster. Apocalypse behind the dumpster. Diner. They crawl out of your <laughs> trunk of your car. I don't know. But uh, you, I'm surprised that you guys are praising this song. Because um, you, you want to hate this. I feel Logan. like I want to hate this song. I'm like, oh, my God, here he comes again doing all his things. And you just have to listen to the de-evolution into, like, nirvana absurdity. But the chorus rips, uh-huh. and the song definitely sounds antagonistic, yeah. antagonistic, and I really like that. The solo just seems to kind of prod any kind of sensibility at all, and it sounds, and like we talked about, like it sounds like he cracks up at three fourteen, so that that's pretty funny, or bursts at the seams. Either way, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it also sounds like there's different takes at the end, like they spliced in several different takes. Um, hmm. I don't know if that's just me or if I just heard it weird or 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 whatever, but it kind of sounded like they were using different. I don't know. He just sounded kind of different on each one, and it sounded like they kind of spliced it together. But I could be wrong. I was going to say since Kurt said future songs would sound like this, Nirvana. So are you saying Logan, if they would have sounded like this, you would have wanted more of more of that? Well, the last, the very last thing I was going to say is that Nirvana songs Sorry. like like <laughs> this must exist. Like, no, no, I wouldn't tell, no, I wouldn't like, but I was just saying like, I I feel like they have to, these types of songs have to exist for Nirvana. I I enjoy them. I I just think it, it challenges probably the, the average listener. I appreciate that. It is a challenging song, but worth it. Yeah. Well, you guys know what would wash down some doll steak. You guys know what does, wash does, that down? Would it really, though, Josh? You know would what it really, really uh, give you a, a home, good wash down? Homemade abortion method? <laughs> I think a good good chug of Penny Royal tea oh, nice. would wash you it know, down. You know it's not a refreshment, right? <laughs>
So Penny Royalty was written uh, in 1990 in 30 minutes, according to Kurt, by the way. Uh, I can see that. Seemingly about Kurt's personal issues and outlook on his life and legacy. The actual substance, Penny Royalty, is supposedly an abortion-causing concoction, and some saw that as Kurt making a nod to his stomach pains. And there are lyrics in the song as well about antacids and such. This song was actually remixed by Scott Litt for possible single use, but then the single was pulled after Kurt's suicide. And that, that mix, the Scott Litt mix, was not included on the album. So if you listen to In Utero, you didn't hear the Scott Litt mix unless you listened to the version that had Waif Me from Kmart or Walmart. For whatever reason, really? that version used oh. the Scott Litt mix of Penny Now Royal you gotta Key, buy that version. As did the greatest <laughs> hits compilations down the road, both used the Scott Litt version of Penny Royalty. Wow. It's on the deluxe 20th wow. anniversary. Yeah. Um, it's um, They also did a record store day 7-inch release. Of yeah. It. Of what it actually yeah was gonna be, yeah. Uh, so Penny Royalty, I put this in the same camp of songs as Rape Me and Dumb as songs that kind of bore me on this album. <laughs> and oh, really? I actually have to say I prefer the unplugged version of this, where it's just Kurt by himself. I, I think I prefer that version um, to to this one. Uh, I do like um, the. Uh, the fact that you, you can kind of make the double, I don't know, double meaning of penny royalty, the drink, but also it sounds kind of like he's saying penny royalty, like, you know, royalty that is worth well, he rhymes nothing. it with royalty. And oh, uh, no. I, I also never realized until looking at the lyrics that he says, give me a Leonard Cohen afterworld. I yeah. Like, yeah. didn't yeah. know that at oh, all. Yeah. I've heard this a million times. And then I looked up the lyrics. I'm like, he says, give me a Leonard Cohen afterworld. <laughs> Um, and I he did notice really though weird. also that this, yeah, it's, it's kind of drawn out and you wouldn't necessarily know it unless you looked it up. Well, the, the syllables don't quite fit musically. Yeah. yeah. They do that a lot on this album. I've noticed just weird syllable arrangements. That's a weird thing to notice. Well, but yeah. Like it's kind of uh, always been a Nirvana thing. I feel like like self-appointed judges judge or just some, some interesting lyrical stuff. Uh, by the way, I, this song, I don't know if anybody else feels this way. It has very whole qualities. Like, I feel like this is one where I could easily see this being a whole song. Courtney loves singing like, yeah. think of like I gotta hear that. Yeah, like Miss World or some of those uh, those whole songs on Live What if they this. did this one while she was there? What if this was one it's of the... It's possible she had a hand in helping him craft it. I mean, I could see that as well. <laughs> it just has sort of similarities there. But yeah, I don't know. Overall, this one kind of... I prefer the unplugged version, I think. Um I would put this one probably at the top over dumb or rate me, but it's it's one that I I don't necessarily feel like is is one of my favorites on the album. I'm 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 right there with you. It's uh you know kind of in in that uh, that rate me uh, tier. Um, I I like the guitar sound a lot. Um, you know kind of especially where where it comes uh, comes back into the the second chorus. I think it might be second or third chorus. Uh, he he does a, a big um, a big slide that that, that I like. Um, the bass line. You're talking about the Leonard Cohen Afterworld uh, line. Uh, the the bass part under that where he kind of does that melodic figure is 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 really. Uh, 
a really a, a showcase for for Chris. One of the issues that they said that they had with the Albini uh, mix was was that the the bass was was muddy and and, mm-hmm. and couldn't hear it very well. And, and I think that that is is truer in some cases, but but uh, it, it really stands out uh, to me here. Uh, you know both just the the, the melodic uh, uh, sophistication and it just sounds great as well yeah um I'm I'm also kind of lukewarm on this one comparatively now keep in mind this is on a on a great album where I don't think anything is bad it's a little weird that this one was also kind of they tried to groom it as a hit single because it's kind of like this song really this this is the one it it does have a that catchy hook with with the catchy vocal harmony in the chorus but this song is like is like 30% ho hum verse and the rest of it is like heavily repeated uh screamed chorus uh and there's not a lot to this song but um it's still fairly decent. I, I, I don't know that it's like a, a standout in any way. It, another it's phenomenal weird. solo, I will say, and I, and I don't want to step on you, Logan, if you were going to mention that, but uh, I, I love this uh, uh, this solo when he does that that walk down line. It, it, it really really works in the, uh, in the, within the song. Yeah, I, I love this song. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say about it, though. Um, the line about I have very bad posture uh, resonates with me for some reason i always remember that line <laughs> i like that one too um and the guitar solo is great uh, as matt said and uh i there's a couple parts in the song i feel like the drums just really sound monstrous just really like right up there up front and i was just going to mention that i didn't know that this was being groomed as a single so that was a surprise to me too again like mm. this song <laughs> really yeah, her. I was just going to mention you uh, had mentioned the unplugged performance. I would say, other than "Where Did You Sleep Last Night," uh, I, I that that was probably the most compelling uh, performance off that unplugged. We'll we'll talk about it more when we get there, but uh, I just wanted to highlight uh, highlight that. Yeah. So, Penny Royalty was being groomed to be a single, and it uh, you know was maybe going to sell a few more albums for them. Um, and, and Kurt certainly felt like sometimes that's all they were, just a, a radio-friendly unit shifter. Does that transition good, guys? Uh, it's, it's, yeah, that's technically, works. technically works. So next up, Radio Friendly Unit Shifter. This one uh, was written in 1993, although some claim it was written as early as 1991. And much like other songs on this album, it's seemingly about fame and being in the spotlight. According to LiveNirvana.com, this was the opener for most of their shows from 93 to 94. And it also holds two other distinctions on this album. It is the longest song on the album, and it is the lowest play count on Spotify. Oh, what? And uh, Matt, why don't you lead us off? What are your thoughts on Radio Friendly Unit Shifter? Uh, it's it's good. Um, 
I, I like it more now than I did, uh, you know, as a kid. I, I was a little bit more impatient, and I would a lot of times, you know, kind of skip uh, skip from Penny Royalty right to All Apologies. But uh, um, I really like the bass groove, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it. Uh, you know, everybody will have thoughts. Um, I, I had down that uh, one of the original titles was Nine Month Media Blackout, um, you know, which was a phrase that was going around, you know, kind of uh, in the aftermath of the Vanity Fair article in September of 92. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's got a great groove. It it really moves. I I like how the baseline, you know, just kind of stays consistent throughout the song while, uh, while other things are kind of going on, um, across from it. Um, it also kind of breaks down, you know, really, really well and kind of hearing the drums carry on that dun, 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 uh, beat um, a- as the instrumentation is, is falling apart, you know, makes it makes it sound really interesting. But uh, w- what does everybody else think? I dig it. Yeah, the the uh, you mentioned the the baseline throughout. That there was actually a, a a quote from Chris in the book where he's just like, it's 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 literally just the 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 same riff uh, the the whole song through. Uh, for him, at least, he really is just playing the one part the entirety of this long song except for the bridge part there is that exception um but to me it does it doesn't get boring it's like such it's such a good riff that it i i i like to hear it and i love the the girls uh you know snare on every downbeat uh for this song um not a whole lot of complexity here more more complex lyrics certainly there i think there's more lyrics on this song than there are on most of the others Including but, the lyric, um, use just once and destroy, which is a label on syringes. Oh, so mm. maybe they talk about drug use a little? Well, it's not explicit. Not explicit but, uh, right. It's like bleach your works, though. It calls back to old bleach your works. Use just once and destroy. Invasion of our, is it piracy or it's piracy? It's invasion of our piracy. Okay, so it's another Kurt Cobain wordplay thing after birth of a nation this is the song where every line is a, is a cobain wordplay <laughs> after birth of a nation uh, a blanket acneed with cigarette burns is 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 poetry i i will say that speak at once while taking turns bipolar opposites attract I always, this is like I always felt the, that the, the vocals here. on this and the way it all kind of goes together it almost sounds and this is sort of partnered with the next song that we're going to talk about Tourette's uh, which is they it kind of sounds almost like a harder Pixies song. And I know that Pixies is, is used a lot as sort of an influence on Nirvana, um, an obvious influence. But this song in particular to me almost sounds as if like they're covering Nimrod's son or some Pixies <laughs> song. Um, I, don't, I don't know. That's just my thoughts on it. Um, uh, Logan, Kinda. what do you what do you think about uh, Radio Friendly Unit Shifter? Oh, again, great bass line, great riff. Um the guitar tones are very delightful to my ears. Uh, I love the sarcastic title and antagonistic attitude. Um, definitely rocks. Uh, it's definitely, I'd say it's my third favorite song on the album. Third favorite. Okay. That's yep. pretty up there. It is. It is a rocker. Love um, you for what I am not, did not want what I have got. Ev- everything. Does is, anyone is else hear the, the, bl- the Black Francis thing, though, on the vocals a little bit? Or my, is it I, for some reason, I don't. I've never heard Pixies is like sounding like Nirvana. I don't know why. I just yeah. I don't hear it. I think it's mainly people point out the the whole like quiet, loud, quiet kind of thing dynamics. Is yeah, but 
being. I mean, from that's the 60s, every rock band. Yeah, I, I know, <laughs> but uh, that's the. I think one of the things people tend to point out. Um, the what what is known for a fact though is that a a big reason Kurt was insistent on working with Steve Albini of all people. One of the reasons was he really liked the sound of Surfer Rosa by the Pixies. Um, the snare album, in which particular. Also, yes. Listen, go li- I'm going to drop the snare from that album love, in uh, here. Steve Albini's, he produced uh, Breeders, right? Uh, yeah, he liked that, Paul, the, yeah. that Breeders record and, and Surfer Rosa. Um, but I, I'll do like a comparison of the snare sounds. This The drums are, are like shockingly uh, similar. drum sound i love that album by the pixies and just the the room sounds that they got it it doesn't sound like any other pixies record in the way that this doesn't sound like any other nirvana record but in a really good way well i have no transition to the next song um the next song is tourette's moderate rock Why don't you just scream something <laughs> gibberish? Tourette's uh, is written or played as early as 1992. And according to Rolling Stone, the first draft lyrics were just fuck shit piss. Uh, and the Muddy <laughs> Banks of Wishkov version actually has different lyrics. Uh, basically, this song seems like just an opportunity for Kurt to kind of scream over what is the shortest song on the album. Um, and it's interesting. The shorter it's than next Barry to the longest song. Yeah. Yep, it is the shortest song on the album. Okay. I, uh, I love love the drumming on this song especially the way it oh, comes yeah. back in on the chorus with those stops the on the hey hey and then the way the drums come in on the the third one you know what i'm talking about yep. and again yep. this reminds me of a, a pixie song uh for some reason i i much like the other one this this reminds me of like a, a harder it pixies with a fuzz box as Steve Albini <laughs> called them, R.E.M. with a fuzz box. It reminds me of Pixies with a fuzz box for some reason. Pixies had the fuzz box. <laughs> I know, but you know what I'm saying. Um, what, what do you guys uh, think about Tourette's? I will say, by the way, before I, this is one of my top tier ones. Surprisingly, I, I love this song for some reason. But It's lovable. Um, now that you mention it, maybe this is the most Pixies song on here. Um, I'm trying to think of a, of a Pixies analog, uh, like uh, their song off bossa nova it's called, i like, also tried to find one on bossa nova that reminded me of this for some reason and i couldn't find it, it but like, they have a song on there that is also like gibberish lyrics There may or may not be lyrics, but they're hard to understand. And there's a lot of that abrasive and stopping and starting. And uh, 
It sounds like something the Pixies would do in one of their more abrasive songs. Um, I was looking at Genius.com. They actually have written out lyrics for this. Are are there official lyrics to this? I, I couldn't find my booklet. The, the lyrics in the lyric book, I remember because I was looking at as a kid, and it's actually just anagrams of swear words. <laughs> which is kind of funny, but okay. uh, but I um, I think Josh, you mentioned that there might have been alternate lyrics, maybe from from Muddy Banks of the Wish Cup, but yeah, but mu- this is some great moderate rock, I must say. Is that <laughs> is that Kurt at the beginning? I don't <laughs> know. Probably, I think it is. I um, didn't know if it was like a sample. <laughs> Logan, how do you feel about Tourette's? Uh, I'm very pro Tourette's. It's uh, the second favorite <laughs> song of the album for me. Um, I love the punk nice. attitude. This is always kind of the Nirvana content that I'm I'm here for. Uh, it's super short. To um, again, with the context of me not hearing it till later, I had Silverchair's uh, Freak Show album, and there's a track on there called uh, "Lie to Me," and it crafts a very similar take. which I heard way before this, which is strange, but I, I felt like they tried really hard to get out of Nirvana's sh- shadow, so it's weird that they would try to do that on their second album, but that's a whole other thing. But no, I like Tourette's. I, I'm very... Uh, I love it. You'd mentioned punk rock. It was, it was originally kind of had a working title of punk rock, um, yeah. be, being the name. Uh, that, that was... Uh, Blake, you and I both read that that Jillian Gar book. Um this song reminds me, or or I feel like it's it's uh, it's serving the same function on the record as a song like "Wild Honey Pie," in that you know it's <laughs> it, it's a song that you know covered by the Pixies. Covered by the Pixies, right? Uh, you know, and and Kurt even even you know admitted that that it's you know almost kind of just to set a mood. It's uh, it's less about the song itself and more about how it feels and fits within the context of of the uh, the larger album, um, Josh. You're totally right. The drums are are just great on this. Um, you know, from from the first pickup to uh, where where it's coming in uh, halfway through uh, on the start and stops on the the chorus. I, I guess, um, yeah, it, it works for me. Uh, I always heard the 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 moderate rock call out as kind of a uh, a companion to the uh, the Young Bloods uh, line in Territorial Pissings. You know, kind of just uh, say say something bratty at the start of your of your punk song. Um, Wait, what what's at the beginning of territory? Come on, people now! Smile oh, on right, right. Okay, yes, it it is similar to that, of course. Just taking a piss. It's, sar- it, it's just you know, it's sar- yeah, they're <laughs> taking, taking a piss. The piss. They're taking the poo poo. Um. Well, guys, uh, I, you know how I didn't have a transition on the last song. I, I have to apologize for that. I am. All apologies. Oh. Josh, you've been canceled. What do you have all. to say for yourself? <laughs> <laughs> So la- the last song, all apologies. 
Like Dumb, this was a very early song for the band, written in 1990, and also Like Dumb features cello. Uh, Originally titled La 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 La. And Kurt told (laughs) Michael Azerod that, quote, I like to think the song is for them, Francis and Courtney, but the words don't really fit in relation to us. The feeling does, but not the lyrics. And uh, Kurt said the song's mood is peaceful, humpy, (laughs) pumpy. Humpy. Humpy. Humpy Wednesdays. That's when we release our podcast on Wednesdays. It's very humpy. Peaceful, happy comfort. Just happy happiness. And this was the other song remixed by Scott Litt to be a single and is the other remix on the album. So Scott Litt did this in Heart Shape Box. Uh, I I will start off and say that I prefer Heart Shape Box as far as the the big singles from this album go. This one's okay, but it it kind of just, I don't know, it just kind of bores me as well a little bit. Uh, Maybe I've just heard it too many times. Uh, Similar to Heart Shape Box, I, I feel like the verse melody is really cool because it's not derivative of the riff again. It just sort of works alongside it, sort of rides atop at the riff. And I think that's that's a really um, that's not an easy thing to do um, coming from, you know, if you try to write songs, trying to come up with a vocal melody that's distinctive from your guitar part, but works with it. Um, and, and so it gets credit for that in my book. But other than that, I'd, I'd much rather listen to Heart Shape Box than this song. I have similar similar lukewarm feelings. It's not my favorite um, but maybe that's just because it's played a whole hell of a lot like like heart shaped box. Uh, there's uh, much ado about this song, so maybe it's uh, I, I'm more interested right now in in the deeper cuts. Um, and of course it has that because of that remix, it has that a little bit glossier feel that sets it apart and makes you kind of yearn for the for the milkets of the album but has anyone heard the uh the the demo version of all apologies i have very early with with you know kind of jangly it's folk it's a folk song with heavy tambourine and heavy acoustic guitar it's like a whole different band it's like a whole different song like the feel i'm i may even prefer it like i i don't know what folk band to compare it to but it's it's like some some Simon and Garfunkel or something. I don't know what it is. They're they're really it's, emphasizing it's the seventh chord uh, that that the cellos is picking up on on the album cut. But uh, in that demo, you know, there, there's a, uh, a a guitar yeah. doing a seventh chord, and and I believe it was the 2013 mix uh, that I listened to uh, has another guitar that um, that was either not in, you know another track that either wasn't included or, or was way down in the mix that that picks up that that seventh yeah. chord and kind of gives it a little bit more more color um i i guess i am you know a, a bigger uh a bigger proponent of this song than uh than than you guys uh especially in hearing kurt describe you know kind of the way he felt about the song and 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 how it was all about a feeling that's what it's all about for me you know yeah it's it's not as complex you know as uh as heart shaped box or, or some uh you know one of the other singles but but just the instrumentation, um, you know, it's got more great drumming. Uh, he he alternates between open hat and and tom on the two and on the twos and fours. Uh, that that really works out, and, and it's got one of the one of the best outros of most rock songs I can think of. You know, it starts with the yeah 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 yeah, and uh, you know, then it just kind of 
continues on with with that main theme uh and 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 but really falls apart you know kind of in in an organic way that um that that just that just really work you know really works and 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 really you know makes me feel good i i uh, which i i guess is a is a, a testament to uh to the success are you talking about all in all is all we are yeah yeah we're we're there repeating that that on the way yeah. uh on the way out but uh you know that that high kind of you know almost synthy synthy part comes in towards the end of the outro uh it it really work, works for me it was one that i would skip you know skip stuff to get to uh, as a you know listening you know, earlier in life yeah don't don't skip it also on the uh on the unplugged and i i think it was a really good performance on the unplugged as well so i begrudgingly like this song um, I have heard it on the radio a lot, but I do love the guitar riff, um, and I love the vibe. And again, you know, kind of with that cello, I think it seems really lighthearted of the band. And I, I think the drum fills are huge, and the guitar tone's pretty wild. And I think it's a great album closer, and I think it's a great closer for the band in general. It it kind of takes a a left turn of what they're known for to kind of go out on more of a lighthearted like this wasn't a big deal you know kind of thing and uh it seems foretelling and foretelling and very appropriate for the end of the band i feel like okay so that is our well we need to move on to ratings right talk about that stiff and what the banger is okay so real quick critical take uh this was 435th on Rolling Stone's greatest 500 greatest albums of all time. Pitchfork put it as the 13th best album of the 1990s. And NME, New Music Express, uh, said it was the 35th greatest album of all time. And that sort of sets a trend. I, I noticed that British critics, I think, liked this album more. You know, 35 out of 500 versus Rolling Stone's 435 yeah, out of 500. Really and uh, to that end... Uh, it is in British author Robert Dimery's A Thousand and One Greatest Albums of All Time, but not in American author Tom Moon's A Thousand Recordings <laughs> to Hear Before You Die. <laughs> um, and Dang. biographer Charles Cross says it's a better album than Nevermind. So uh, that's their takes. And real quickly, we kind of run through ours uh, before we get into our rating. I guess we should go through you know, what we think is the, the banger skippable and don't sleep on it um and i guess you guys want to do this kind of real quickly and cover you guys want to do it real quickly just kind of we'll go okay so what is the banger for me the banger is francis farmer will have her revenge on seattle i think it just uh kicks ass my banger is serve the servants uh you know almost in that it, it literally bangs in uh the, the record you know it's got pop sensibility but it's also definitely a nirvana song uh you know it, it just really kind of sets sets the the mood and the tone for what's going to come i have to say my banger almost in a in a literal sense is scentless apprentice yeah uh, go with me my too. Gut on that me too <laughs> Scentless okay, apprentice cool. all the way twinsies all right what are you guys skipping i am gonna skip rape me i just don't like it very much it's boring matt okay uh i had down skip tourette's um and i i feel like that's uh habitual almost at at this point um you know it's 
it's almost uh, you know definitionally a, a skippable song, but uh, but but I hear you on rate me as well. That's kind of a throwaway. Uh, don't agree with you on that, but okay, Ooh, Blake. I don't agree at all. It's it, yeah, it's it's cool to disagree. I I I love Tourette's, but uh, anyway, uh, I don't I don't want to skip any any songs mm. here. Yeah, uh, m- maybe maybe choose a, one to a, die, Blake. <laughs> If a gun were to my head, maybe I'd skip Penny Royal. Okay. Uh, but uh, overall, yeah, I don't want to skip it. I would also not skip any of them. But if you had to pick, I'd skip it if I'm in a good mood. It would be Rape Me. All right. Same page. Although we all we all had our own choices for Banger, right? Or wait, no. no Logan. And, the, and Logan and me agreed on skippable. Okay, don't sleep on it. Uh, I have very ape. I feel like it's the one that yes. not many people know That's at all. One. That's a good and pick. And is, is deserves to have more recognition than it does. You stole mine. Yes, stole mine. Blake That's agrees. My all right, Matt. Sleeper, what do you very. Think? Don't sleep on it. Don't sleep on it. Milk it. Uh, <laughs> I, milk it's milk it's great milk it is is my favorite song on on the record um you really know, it just it's your favorite yeah. song on the whole album i can't believe I that I that feel, is that blows my so, that blows me yeah away. that is so opposite of everything i've learned about your musical taste so far <laughs> different I love opinions it. I, I, I love this take though i love it i, I I don't know. It's it's the one that I always remember the most. I mean, and and maybe it's and maybe all apologies is is different because you know you hear it in in radio contexts. But uh, but but boy, you know, being you know thirteen or fourteen, listening to to milk it and playing along and. It, it just, uh, you know, young it, Matt it's a standout. With a, Matt, Matt with a little beanie with the spinner on top and a lollipop. He's like, <laughs> don't He's stink. Playing the game Test with a hoop and a meat. stick. That's what you sounded like when you were 14 to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Logan, what's your don't sleep on it? Don't sleep on Tourette's because Tourette's fucking rules. It's so fast. It's just got that punk sensibility <laughs> that you can't like. They just do it so well. And that yell that he lets out, it's just like in that guitar, like, you know, the. That's, the shriek of yeah, the dam. It's just so good. I mean, and it's quick. It's not bothersome. It's not taking much time out of your day. It's you know, it's, it just, ain't a hurting little, nobody. it's just a little thing that's over there that rocks. And uh <laughs> I, I would not sleep on it at all. All right. Boom. So covers. overall, our take. Uh when wait, I, wait, wait, oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, cover. Yeah, we got a cover song. Okay. I I I don't know if I actually came up with one. Um Someone else go. I'll think about it. I would want to cover uh, "Serve the Servants." Um, you know, it, it's it's my banger. I think that it would that it would take to covering well. Um, you know, more so than, than other tracks on it. You know, it's it's fun to sing. It's fun to play. Uh, get everybody dancing. I think. Got to get them dancing. Uh, I would go with uh, "Radio Friendly Unit Shifter." Mm. I think you bust that out. Okay. That would be pretty surprising. I think that song rules, yeah. and I think it would very doable. Yeah, I, I I actually like both those choices. I was leaning towards Francis Farmer for some reason, um, maybe because it's that would fun be to my play. other choice. Serves, ser- uh, yeah, right, all those cool. are good choices. Uh, Blake, what are your thoughts? Well, I like this because we all have a different one. Um, this is not going to surprise anyone after the way I've been talking, but I'm going to say very ape, and 
I just think it would be so fun to play. Not it, it, it hits all the bases for covers for me. It's very fun to do, probably fun for the audience, easy to pick up on. I think we could learn it quickly. And the idea of playing it sounds so fun to me that I, I not only am submitting it to this podcast, I'm submitting it as a real idea for a cover someday <laughs> for us as a real band. I just think it would be fun yeah. as hell Indoors. to go. I'm glad that no one go, shows, by the <laughs> way, like one of the super personal ones like Penny Royalty or something like I'd like Dumb. to cover Penny Royalty. Just me by myself. Fuck all Real bring guys. Bring the room down. Bring it down. But I'd play the shit out of Very Ape. That would be fun. Very Ape would be cool. We could go into Voodoo People then. Yeah. <laughs> why, why not? Hey, a medley. Medley. All right. Uh, critic or critically, not critically. Um, just our sort of uh, rankings. So I took the songs on the album and did a little little number crunching. And it sounds bad when I say the percentage, but I I think when I give it a sort of out of five rating, it sounds a little better. But for me, this is about a sixty percent. Truthfully, if I went through and added all the songs up and took the wow. ones I like. I would wow. say it's about six percent. So for wow. me, that's three out of five doll steaks, and uh, I would take more of that test meat. Give me all that <laughs> test meat. Uh, but yeah, I, I I do enjoy this album. But if I was going on a purely song by song basis, probably about a sixty percent for me. Three three out of five doll steaks. I gave it a one hundred percent. One hundo. Yes. Yep. It is preach it. I think it is the perfect Nirvana album, in my opinion. I think it's the best. Um, however, I still stand by my opinion that uh, my favorite is Incesticide. But I think that this is a this Nirvana album hits all the things. It hits all the notes. It hits all the things that are Nirvana, and it presents it in a way that's not so glossed over. So it's somewhat true to what they in had envisioned and wanted to be. And I think it's a good, you know, at the height of their success going out album. So, um, I, and I, I just, I like it more than never mind. I would place, if I, if I ordered the albums that we've listened to so far, Oh, hold on. If, that might come up next out. Okay. Might come up next. Episode. Well, <laughs> I, I, the live ones aren't going to top in my, like those are just extra shit. So I'm, I'm going to say that, Incesticide first, and then in utero, and then never mind, and then bleach. I do like bleach a lot, though. All right, That's fair. I'm gonna give it five fetuses out of five. Nice. <laughs> Are fetuses I should and say test five. meat the same thing? I'll see myself. Five trans. <laughs> yeah. Good. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, five transparent anatomical mannequins out of five. Um, it it very well may be a better record than Nevermind. I as a person who often loves glossy production, uh, that that stuff has its place and it works well for Nevermind. But something about this is so so endearing that I can't can't get enough of it. Yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't give it less than than five stars. I feel like I might be the outlier here, Matt. What are your thoughts on In Union In Utero? I have been caught in the magnet tar pit trap of this record uh josh i um i I was also going to use doll steak as a as a rating metric um this is a four and one half doll steak record uh 
it's you're correct that you know it's it's the most Nirvana of Nirvana albums. It's you know. I, I think it's at, it's them at the top of their form, um, lyrically, musically, sonically. This is it. It succeeds where other Nirvana records have, have failed, and you know it's the one that that when I think about Nirvana, you know it's the one that I think most about. Uh, you know, listening to both, you know, a, a, as a kid when I you know when I was listening to it then, and and would would come back to it now. It, it's. Uh, it, it's not a it's not a perfect record. It, you know, it's got it's got wrinkles, and, and I think that that um, I, I think that that just just makes it uh, make it work that much more. Ah, that's that's a good point. Well said. I wow. feel like uh, um, one thing yeah. we didn't mention was the secret song. But as my rule goes, all oh, secret yeah, songs yeah, yeah. pass. So I'm I'm all good oh. on the secret song. Any secret song. Well, stays. Spe- sp- speaking of 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 that. Uh, Next episode will be our final Nirvana episode, and we'll be wrapping it up by discussing uh, some of Unplugged, but also some of the other Nirvana uh, stuff like Muddy Banks of Wishka and that kind of thing. But we'll be wrapping up our Nirvana series next episode. So um, anything else before we go? When Logan said secret song, was he talking about gallons the devalued gallons. American dollar purchase incentive track? <laughs> he, he was indeed. <laughs> Okay, because that's what was written on the uh, non-U.S. release uh, stickers. Wasn't the secret song gallons of, of alcohol? Yeah, gallons of uh, yeah. rubbing alcohol. But but it was originally they literally put else. devalued American dollar purchase incentive track. Could be something yeah. against I just, uh, I found that Axel hysterical. Rose. Or Axel something. Rose. He fucking hated Axel Rose. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, I I do like to always end with uh, an anecdote. I do want to say that one of the things I saw the you know, between Steve Albini and Nirvana that they bonded over. And maybe you guys saw this in the book as well. You know, they didn't have a great relationship at first, but apparently they bonded over making prank phone calls to uh, Eddie Vedder. <laughs> I did see that. <laughs> that. That's what they got, you know, together is they started prank phone calling Eddie Vedder. So nice. I didn't know about Eddie Vedder, but it's enjoyable. I did read that they made, that they, they took breaks and made prank phone calls. One of them uh, was... Uh, Dave Grohl calling their manager saying that they were on like day three. <laughs> they were what? That it was day th- Dave Grohl pr- prank called the manager saying it was like day three or four of recording and they were still trying to get snare drum sounds <laughs> and they had not <laughs> laid down. They had laid down like eight songs that's, by this that's point. That's actually kind of funny. <laughs> and then the manager like had a panic attack. He's anyway. like, we're almost there, man. How much money we got to spend? On we're this? out of fucking money, man. Actually, anyway, at that, that point, I, I have a feeling Nirvana was probably being given a long leash. When it oh, came to, um, um, Albini's fee was oh. a flat $100,000, no royalties. Yep. A far cry from $600.16 or whatever. Yeah. And, and Nirvana paid for it, right? I think the record label paid for no, it. No, no, Nirvana. No, I thought Steve uh, Albini told them to pay 20, for it. Yeah, yeah they paid oh, $24,000 right. because at the behest of Steve Albini because so they wouldn't have to be interfered with, with the more creative control. Yep. Yeah. But he, um, he's known for doing flat fees. Mm -hmm. Um, and if I could just do a a final quote from Albini, he's got thousands of poisonous quotes that are just, uh, hysterical spicy. He's a spicy guy. Yeah. But, uh, according to Albini, anyone who takes a royalty off a band's record, other than someone who actually writes music or plays on the record, is a thief. Something he told Azerod. It's a very DIY 
uh, ethic. Well, he's a he's a punk rock guy. All right. Well, join us uh, next time where we'll be wrapping up Nirvana. And uh, yeah, that, that's all I got to say. Um, thanks yeah, for listening, thanks, guys. Thanks and for listening. And yeah, don't like forget to hit us. that hey, like and subscribe smash button. <laughs> smash it. Smash, smash that like. That subscribe. Like smash them keys. Yo, Rate we need hype people, man. Hype people. Yeah. Retweet them. Retweet it. Quote tweet it. All and, right. Uh, Street yeah. teams. So we'll see you next time. You can now follow us on Twitter at DiscographPod or search Discographology Podcast. There's not much there at the moment, but watch that space. Our band is more of that on Facebook, and you can listen to our album wherever you stream music or on Bandcamp. It's called Now More Than Ever. Logan has some great content for your eyes and ears on YouTube under Logan Williams Music, and Matt's nuanced opinions can be found at Edward James Almost on Twitter. Check out more cool podcasts on the Ox Audio Network. If you dig us, please rate and review. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Once again, Nirvana.